Welcome okay, in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Steve White of the NFL Network as we will go around the National Football League with training camps officially underway. We'll get Steve's insights on all 32 teams when he joins us coming up in just a little while from right now. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's football fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group and our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. Thomas Bridges is back here with me as we enjoyed a few days on the road. He was down in Mexico. I made my way to Phoenix and we survived in advance. We're back here as we uh, embark on 10 years of the Jones Reports uh, officially. Tom, how we doing? Uh, I feel accomplished. We did it. We, we made it to this point. Not only did we survive our, uh, our weeks on the road, but here we are uh, to, uh, to celebrate this 10-year uh, milestone of this show. Uh, glad to have you with us. Glad to have you with us is right. Uh, the show's old enough they'd be in fifth grade right now. <laughs> the show was a person that'd be a fifth grader. Jones, we got a fifth grader. Yeah, I mean, now that makes. I'm just glad I'm. I'm still right. Yeah, no joke. I'm just glad I'm alive to uh, be on this show today because I had a lot of fun in Mexico and ended up going and visiting the regional Cancun hospital while I was down there. I got to pretty uh, not tour the facility, but I. You know, I got to uh, check out the local hospital in Cancun by my own doing. So uh, I'm fine, though. Made it back on the plane in time and uh, back in good old Tulsa, Oklahoma, but planning the next trip to Aruba. So, okay. Sounds it's, like uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, Jones, we need to go to, do we need to go to the Caribbean? Yeah. Uh, my next travels, uh, I got to go to, uh, Lawrence and Kansas city next week and, uh, Tulsa in a couple of weeks. Uh, first time I've, I've been home since I, I moved, since I took this job and then, uh, I'll go to Nashville in about a month here. So that's what's next on the, uh, the summer of Jones tour, but, uh, glad you're back. Uh, I had a great time in Phoenix. That was my first time in Phoenix, Tom. Uh, I did not touch the cactus, uh, contrary to popular belief i did not touch the cactus um but going to the nba finals and seeing that firsthand and being at the phoenix suns you know arena for all that and calling those navi championship games and seeing everything firsthand uh, i love phoenix i would not mind living in phoenix my takeaway from phoenix tom was it could have it has everything you want except a beach yeah, and I'm sure they probably have an artificial beach somewhere. Uh, it, the, I guess, how hot was it there? It was over 100 degrees every day, but with no humidity, I'd take that any day over 85 and 80% humidity. Yeah, that's true. I guess that's what gets you. But, yeah, it's. Uh, I've never been to Phoenix either, but I've heard good things, and it looked like you had a hell of a time. I did. I did. Um you know, going to the NBA Finals, Tom, that was like probably one of my top three or four sporting events I've ever been to. Right up there with the PGA Championship, the Final Four, the Daytona 500. 
it's always unique when you can be at a sporting event that you know all eyes are on, that the nation's watching. I can be in the same building as Adele and Little Wayne and LeBron. Uh, I mean, you, you know it's something special uh, when uh, you know Vanessa Hudgens is doing the national anthem. I mean, uh, it was uh, it was something else. It's it's a day I will never forget, and kind of hard to put into words, really. Yeah, and I, you told me that, and I thought, oh, I'm so jealous. I mean, you've, you've been in the Daytona 500. You know, I could have gone to that, but other things got in the way. And, you know, PGA Championship, but this is this is the big this is the big time. Uh, I mean, I guess it would have been better, obviously, for you if the Thunder would have been in it, you know, we're years away from that. But, yeah, that's not yeah still, to, still to just go, I guess the only other thing that could have put the cherry on top was if it was like, an elimination game or, you know, if the Bucks would have won it or been up in the series and won to win it so you could watch the, uh, you know, the, the ceremonies after that. I mean, that, that would be the only thing, I guess, that would even make it sweeter. Right. Yeah. Um, if, uh, if the Suns would have held on in a game four and then come back and win game five, you know, win it. I mean, well, or, uh, uh, did you see, did you see the Suns and Suns and four guy? Did they I put did him on the Suns and four guy? Uh, we'll break down the NBA Finals uh, later on. I do want to touch on that, but uh, it, it was a neat experience, and uh, I can't wait to go back and and uh, go to an NBA Finals game again in the future. But it, it made me think too, like as far as you know, just this living in the moment thing, Tom. I don't know if I'll ever just attend an NBA Finals game again as a fan. I would think that probably the next time I go to an NBA Finals game, I'll be. I'll be covering it and, you know, be credentialed media member and such. Like that might be the only time in my life I get to just be a fan for the NBA finals. I was uh, just, just enjoying that. moment. Yeah. Hey, I mean, who knows? Depends on, you know, depends on, I guess, where and when. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, it, it was, it was neat. And, and we'll talk more about the finals later on, but, uh, with uh, with ten years of the Jones Report too, uh, I, I want to mention this. You know, as as we look back of what what has been a, a heck of a ride of this show. Um, you know, I, I got to say, you know, we're, we're having Steve on, and he's been a regular for four or five years, and we've certainly loved having Steve on. He's always been a great guest. But if I were to think of Tom, like my favorite people we've had on uh, over the years, you know. Uh, the big names that come to mind, you know, the Mario Andretti's of the world uh, that have been here. Uh, you know, Mario's been here a couple times. That was a big deal for us when we first got him, when Christian Leitner came on, uh, you know, Olympic gold medalist. That was a big deal. Um, you know, when we've talked to, you know, even some, uh, you know, big 12 stars, you know, the, the Zach Robinsons, the Brandon Whedons of the world, you know, U.S. Open champion Gary Woodland's been here. Bob Stoops has been here. Um, you know, I, I loved uh, talking to Mike Boynton on this show. And uh, uh, you know, just a number of people that have been here. Uh, the list is just so big uh, that, you know, we don't, we don't have enough time to cover it all. But uh, to me, Tom, it's not even necessarily about the big names. It's those that we've gotten to develop these relationships with and, and – you know, the, the types like, you know, Diana Rossini from ESPN, who is always just entertaining as hell when she comes on here. Or, uh, 
you know, th- those folks, to me, it's not necessarily always the big names. It's our, our friends that come through here and that have, you know, built that camaraderie and those relationships that I think makes it special of those guests that we have on each and every week over this, uh, this tenure. Oh yeah. Not only that, I mean, even, even the, you know, I guess the less famous people, I mean, I mean, hell, I, I we talk about it, even Bo or Nolan, even just that whole backstory to that, or, you know, even, even Bama Joe, you know, all the way back to that, just the, you know, maybe not so much even the big names, but even the smaller people make it. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, it, it, this show's not about any one individual, although my name's on the show. Um, but of all parties involved that uh, have made this fun. And, and uh, you know, I, I got to thank the people around me that have been able to do this. You know, Tom and I have been together, you know, it'll be 10 years for him in March. Uh, that he's been a part of this show. And, uh, you know, TJ has been, TJ Reeves, you hear him on this show from time to time, uh, has been, you know, working behind the scenes on this show for uh, for a bit, for, you know, a year or two now. And, uh, you know, consulting with us and doing whatever we need and also working on the technical side of things. Bo, you've heard him do his segment the last year and uh, you know, he's been a regular listener and, and all these people that listen, we have people that listen from everywhere and uh, that have made this a weekly place to be that have you know, made us a part of their lives, you know, that have welcomed us into their homes, into their, you know, their, their headsets and such and made this a weekly routine. And that's why we do it. You know, we've done this show uh, a lot of different ways over the years, whether it was when we were nightly doing, you know, a live show on blog talk radio or, uh, whether it was when we were doing the video stream, you know, for a couple hours every night to this weekly podcast format, which we've been doing since about, you know, gosh, what's it been 2015 now or something like that. Um, you know, however we've come to you, uh, you guys have made it work and, uh, it's been a lot of fun to do and we'll continue to do it for uh, a long time as uh, far as I'm concerned, as long as we have the opportunity to do so, we'll continue to do this show. And, uh, I'm excited for what's ahead and, and uh, for this podcast network we've developed too, uh, you know, there's some more stuff in the works that is starting because of this show. You know, back in December, we started the Let's Go Racing podcast with NASCAR driver David Starr. That show's really taken off, and David's been a rock star with that show. And uh, Bo's about to start his podcast, Coach Bo Knows, debuting next month. And you better believe Bo's going to put on a show uh, each and every week. And uh, we're proud to have those things just a part of our family. And uh, it all started right here and things are going to build off from there. So with that being said, uh, enough about us. We will uh, move on. But we'd be remiss if we didn't take that time to reflect and and, uh, look back for sure. Um, But the uh, news out of the uh, SEC and the Big 12 this week, Oklahoma and Texas – have inquired about moving to the SEC. And there were reports that came out Wednesday night that it's more than just inquired that the uh, those schools are expected to send a letter to the Big 12 saying that they will not renew their media rights deal, which expires in 2025, and that they plan to uh, join the SEC. That this is moving very fast and on uh, we could see this all done within a matter of weeks and Oklahoma and Texas could be playing in the SEC as early as next year. 
Now, it's ironic, Tom, that we're talking conference realignment when this show started 10 years ago. Conference realignment was a huge topic of discussion at that point. Uh, that was around the time, you know, Nebraska made its move to the Big Ten and, you know, Colorado went to the Pac-12, Missouri and Texas A&M made their way to the SEC. And it's like deja vu all over again. You know, we were told uh, there was multiple reports that Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, Colorado, we're all going to the Pac-12 and we're going to create this uh, 16-team super conference. Um, the likes that we had never seen before. We were told that was happening and, you know, had these confirmed, uh, so-called confirmed reports from these big-time reporters. And at the 11th hour, uh, you know, Oklahoma and Texas, you know, say, nah, we're staying. We're not going anywhere. And, uh, you know, they've been in the Big 12 ever since. And, you know, um, the success for the Big 12 has not been what they would like it to be. There's not been a single playoff win in that stretch from a single Big 12 school. Oklahoma is the only team that's made the playoff, the college football playoff in that stretch. Sure, you have a national title in basketball from Baylor. That was nice this past year. And you had a lot of you know, success on the college basketball front, but we know what this is all about. College football pays the bills. Now, you know, my initial reaction, Tom, of this whole idea of Oklahoma and Texas leaving the SEC, I would hate to see the Big 12 end as we know it because I think there's a special thing going on with these 10 schools and some of the rivalries and the history that goes back uh, for this conference and and what it all means, um, even if the success hasn't been there, what they what we'd like it to be, um, you know, I, I like this league as is. But with that being said, you know, I, I see the other end. You know, you got to be looking out for yourself. Oklahoma and Texas clearly can see. Look, the money's just not there in the Big Twelve. Um, ESPN and Fox declined to look at renewing their TV contracts just a couple months ago. And I think that was kind of a red flag. And to see how much money ESPN just signed with the SEC, how much money they're about to get, um, comparably speaking to everybody else, there's no way the Big 12 can bring in that type of money. Can't even come close. Um, Oklahoma and Texas have to do what's best for themselves. Um, I do not blame them one bit if they're going to go ahead and make this move because the money is just too much. You're still going to be with some old Big 12 rivals with Mizzou and A&M and, you know, in Texas's case, some Southwest Conference rivals in, in Arkansas. You know, LSU seems like, you know, a team that people would love to play if you're OU or Texas. Um, get to be in the same conference as Alabama and Auburn. Um, Tom, the Big 12 fan in me, you know, is disappointed, but – I get it from Oklahoma and Texas point of view. They've been here 10 years. They've seen the big 12, not really uh, succeed. Uh, they gave this time. They tried to make this work, but it just hasn't been working. I think I can't blame them if they make this move. It, it's an, it's an opportunity that's too good to pass up is the way I look at this. I mean, yeah, I, I, I get that. The money's good. What would happen to the Longhorn network? I'm assuming that would go away. So because you have the SEC network there, which is also owned by ESPN, 
the Longhorn Network could become a second SEC network. You could have SEC Network 2 of some sorts. Um, that's how they could make that work is blend that in that way since, uh, since it's all under the ESPN family and the ESPN umbrella um, is how they could pull that off. Now, you have to have 11 of 14 members of the SEC sign off uh, allowing Oklahoma and Texas to make this move. And now here's to me, Tom, where things got serious as far as Oklahoma and Texas potentially making this move is the two schools that released statements that made things very clear. Texas A&M is very adamant. They do not want Texas in the SEC. And I would guess they probably don't want Oklahoma either for similar reasons to uh, why they don't want Texas. And, you know, it's, they want to be the only Texas school in the SEC. Um, Oklahoma, essentially operates as a Texas school uh, with, you know, with the talent that they bring in and the name brand, the recognition and such, um, you know, in their history and such. I get Texas A&M has established their own brand that separates them from Texas being in the SEC and such. So Texas A&M has made it clear they don't want Texas in their league and they still have issues with Texas that go back however when. Oklahoma State makes their statement. They say, you know, hey, um, this is not what we want. Uh, we are committed to the Big 12 Conference. And, uh, you know, we wish Oklahoma and Texas were the same way. And, you know, they want to go wherever Oklahoma goes, as you could imagine. And in the previous era, when we were in this last round of realignment 10 years ago, Tom, David Boren, who was the president of Oklahoma at the time, and Burns Hargis, who was the president of Oklahoma State at the time, who just retired about a month ago, were tied together at the hip. They were not going anywhere without each other. And, you know, time has come and gone. Uh, you know, Oklahoma's had a couple presidents since then. Um, you know, there's not that relationship there that there once was. Um, we don't know if... Oklahoma thinks they have to take Oklahoma State with them. And you know, the legislators in Oklahoma are going to probably do everything they can to keep Oklahoma and Oklahoma State together. But, I mean, Oklahoma football is the most powerful brand in the state of Oklahoma. If they want to go without Oklahoma State to the SEC, they'll find a way. They'll make it happen. Um, you know, I, I think this is going to happen. If you made me guess one way or the other, I would give it about a – a 65 to 70% chance that it does. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's going to lead to the super conferences. I think it, it's the end of the Big 12 as we know it, and the Big 12 either dissolves, which would take just six member schools voting yes on, and the league completely dissolves, and, and uh, maybe, you know, they, they take offers to go to the other power conferences. Or the Big 12 just becomes some – really good basketball conference of some sorts, whatever it means. Um, it's uh, It could be a tough road ahead for the rest of those remaining teams. But I, I would lean towards, Tom, based on how fast this is moving and where things are going, this is probably going to happen. Uh, yeah, just because, I mean, the statements, too, by OU and Texas were very similar. They didn't deny it. You know Bob Bowlesby's got to be literally shitting his pants right now. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's got to be. I mean, he's he's got to go, too, if the Big 12 has any hope. I mean, let's look at it. If it does happen, you got to think 
you got to think Iowa State and KU are probably headed to the Big Ten. I would assume West Virginia. And I don't know, maybe throw in TCU in the ACC and then everybody else to the Pac-12. And that's if they want them, too. Um, yeah, I, think- I mean, Oklahoma State will be fine. Someone's get, Someone would, I think. But I mean, I'm a little biased, but I, I don't think I'm – I don't think I'm that biased to, to, you know, to make the comment that anybody would pick up Oklahoma State. But I mean, here's the other part is academics. KU and Iowa State are the only AAU institutions in the Big 12 not named OU in Texas. Um, doesn't the Big 10 require that? The Big 10 does require that. And, right. uh, so that's easy. Despite how bad Kansas football has been because of how good their basketball is, and bring in the Kansas City market, I, I still think KU is an attractive item, especially for the ACC that loves their basketball um, or the Big Ten who doesn't have the Kansas City market yet. Um, I think KU is still a better choice than K-State is. Um, but your, your Texas Techs, um, you know, Baylor, TCU, West Virginia, um, you know, the, these other schools, Iowa State, um, who knows what happens to them? I think KU actually might be the next attractive choice. Um, and, and that might sound biased of some sorts, but because of what they had to offer, despite a crappy football program, um, they, they, I think KU could be just fine. The others, not so sure about uh, as far as the, their landing spots. And, and, uh, and in Oklahoma State, you know, what, what, what baffles my mind is, you know, this is a, a program that has not won a lot of games against Oklahoma, but they are trying to tie themselves to Oklahoma and try to keep this thing going. Um, Tom, is there any chance Oklahoma State can benefit building its own brand, carving out its own path if it weren't in the same conference at o- as Oklahoma? I think if Oklahoma's in the SEC – in playing this tough schedule compared to Oklahoma state, who, if they go to any of the other three power conferences, it, it, to me, it's, it's hard to imagine Oklahoma state, um, you know, ever trying to compete with Oklahoma again, it's always been Oklahoma at this level and Oklahoma state at another, you know, a couple steps below, but uh, I I think this could be a pro even, even though Oklahoma's had so much more success and beaten Oklahoma State a lot uh, over the years, I would still say that they're probably still better off being wherever Oklahoma goes. Yeah, I, I, yeah. if they go to the SEC, I don't know if the, there's not going to be really room for Oklahoma State. And right. I don't think OU cares at this point. You know, I don't blame them. Um, you know, they're just looking like they're going to move to the SEC with Texas. That gives them that that would make it sixteen. Uh, so I mean, at that point, it's like, okay, well, it's full now. What, you know, where does everybody else go? And so I think that all the other the other eight schools in the Big Twelve are like, well, you know, it's almost like a mini eviction notice. It's like, well, you know, better sell, better get out, better start figuring it out. Um. So, I don't, you know, I get that. I just don't know what – I don't know what will happen. Right. So, I, I mean, you said 2025, but they could start OU in Texas if they made the move. 
they could start playing in the SEC as early as next year. If uh, if they get everything figured out with lawyers and such, um, they could. This could happen as early as next year. So, I guess being more real about it, because those that takes time. I'm going to say if it happens, they'll start playing the SEC in 2023. Yeah, and that would fall in line with this new playoff. Um, now, I, I think that the best case that you could make for why OU in Texas should stay in the Big 12 would be your path to the playoff is so easy in the Big 12 right now. Um, Oklahoma, in this current playoff format, uh, makes the playoff, what, about two out of three years? Um, you know, they, they get a good thing going. Even if they're not winning playoff games, they're making the playoff in this current system. And you would think if Texas ever found the right head coach, they would be in good shape to make the playoff uh, themselves and such, you know, with their resources and whatnot. That's the, in this new playoff system, a 12 team playoff, um, a one loss Texas or one loss Oklahoma still makes the playoff every single time as well. And this 12 team playoff that's ahead, even in the big 12 conference, that's your biggest case that you make as far as why you would stay in the big 12. But on the flip side of that, this is the counterpoint as far as the sec goes when it comes to the playoff. You're talking about a division, okay? Uh, here's how realignment would work in the SEC as far as these divisions go. Alabama and Auburn would move to the east and join Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Vandy. And then on the other side, we'd be talking about Oklahoma, Texas, Texas A&M, Mizzou, Mississippi State, Mississippi, LSU, and Arkansas. Um, if you win that division – or just lose one game in that division, you're in. You will be in the playoff. And we have seen, I mean, it's no secret that the polls have been very favorable to the SEC compared to other leagues over the years. Uh, you're going to get treated pretty favorably. And so although the path seems pretty easy in the Big 12, I don't think that you should fear competition, that competition would make you better. Um, you know, you go to the SEC, you're likely to improve on recruiting. Um, you know, that you're going to challenge yourself each and every week playing tough competition. Um, those things, I think that while, yes, on the surface level, it looks like it would be easier to make the playoff in the Big 12. I think in the long run, you're going to be tested more and going to be better equipped to actually win playoff games, which the Big 12 isn't doing going through that sec schedule as opposed to what you're in right now maybe you're not going to be like oklahoma and win your conference every single year but you'll probably be in the sec championship a lot that jalen hurts bowl you know between oklahoma and alabama i'd imagine would happen from time to time um <clears throat> i would say that um with the money that's out there that's much more available with the competition that you'd face, the improvements in recruiting, and still having a, a really good chance to make the playoff with this expanded playoff, even though you're in a tougher conference, all these incredible home games that you're going to have now compared to playing teams like, you know, Kansas uh, or uh, the likes of TCU, whatever. Now you're selling your tickets for, you know, LSU coming to town or, 
Arkansas, you know, I mean, that, that's much more attractive. I, I think that um, you, you, you might sacrifice a little on your playoff chances, but the long run is such certainly more rewarding, I think, in Oklahoma and Texas's case down the road. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think how to word this. You know, I mean, if they go, I mean, you mentioned that it's going to be much more favorable in the long run. I do agree with that. Um, the recruiting, you know, Texas already has it, you know, gift wrapped to them essentially, uh, as well as OU pretty much too. Is it going to be better if they go to that? Can it get better if they go to the SEC? I mean, if you think about, okay, so they're going to they'll play Texas A&M, Mizzou, Arkansas. L, I mean, LSU is in that realignment between the east and west would be i guess the hardest opponent in my eyes to ou in texas right um other than that i mean really not to i mean you're not playing georgia florida or bama not until the sec championship uh so i mean in that case you know is it is it that much harder than the current big 12 maybe i'm you know, Mizzou, trash. Arkansas, trash. A&M, so-so. I mean, Mississippi, LSU, State, sure. Mississippi. Mississippi uh, yeah, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Uh, it's, not, it's not doing it for me. You know, yeah. the East, oh, my God, I'd hate to be in the East. I mean, if you're Vanderbilt, you're like, well, we might as well just focus on other things like baseball and, <laughs> I don't know, equestrian or whatever the hell they do at Vanderbilt. Uh, because God, I mean, that's a night, that would be a nightmare schedule. That's like the death conference. Uh, I mean, that's, that would be incredibly annoying if you were a team that wasn't any good. Yeah. Um, but you know, as far as the West side, I mean, for OU Texas, you're not, I mean, maybe a little harder, but not really. I mean, not really. Okay. Arkansas likes to act like they're really good. Arkansas ain't shit. Arkansas is trash. I'll and there's a lot of Arkansas fans here. I wish that OSU and Arkansas could play sooner, just so Oklahoma State could whoop that ass. So all these woo pig sue motherfuckers can shut up. It, it, that's the most frustrating. That's I guess this is not a hate Arkansas rant, but it kind of is because you get that. Oh, we're so much better than everybody else because we're in the SEC. No, you're not really that much better than Vanderbilt or Kentucky. Um, but that being said, OU and Texas can go in and, you know, alongside LSU, pretty much flex. I can guarantee it's going to be one of those three each and every year for the foreseeable future. Maybe AM, but probably not. Yeah. Um, I will say it's that it's not that too bad of a transfer if that happens. It's not, you're not really. It's a kind of an easy move. It's like moving across the street. I will say this. Last point before we move on and uh, look back on the Bucks championship here is, if you make this move to the SEC, um, not only are you probably not taking OSU with you, I think more than likely you're saying goodbye to that rivalry for the most part. It is hard to envision that you know, feelings won't be hurt, and you understand from Oklahoma State's standpoint – Rightfully so. They have reason to be upset if you uh, don't take uh, OSU with them. I can't imagine 
that OSU is going to just walk up and say, well, we still want to play you. We still want to play you in football every year or all these other sports and such. I don't think that happens, at least not for a while anyway. I think um, OSU does not take the time out of their schedule to, to, to play OU and especially Texas in their non-conference if they're not going to be in the same league. If you make this move, you pretty much are signing off. You're done with OSU. Uh, and, and that's more of a thing for OU than it really is for Texas, but in Texas's case too. Um, and, and we've seen some great games over the years in, in all sports between OSU and Texas too. But, I mean, you pretty much throw in the, the, uh, the white flag there that you're done with any working relationship with Oklahoma State. It's hard to imagine that OSU – would want to go out of their way to play OU or Texas if they leave them out to dry like that. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I, I think you're right. I, I can't imagine a case where they go out of their way to make that happen. And sure. Bedlam is, is timeless. Granted, OU whoops Oklahoma state every year, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's still, it's still a thing. I mean, it's still a large part of, I mean, I guess who we are as Oklahomans, that's in, pretty much ingrained in our blood. Um, so that would be very weird if they didn't. But I can't imagine OSU giving out any favors if they're just going to peace out and not consider, you know, not them not considering trying to bring them along uh, or get them through the door. I mean, it, I guess it would be essentially like OU Nebraska. They're playing for the first time in 10, 11 years. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I can. I would assume it would be something like that. That would suck. I mean, if this is it, I'm going to both games this year, Bedlam and OSU Texas. So I might have to simmer in that and savor those games if this could be the end. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that, Tom. We'll go ahead and uh, move on. We'll pick up on this discussion when uh, Bo joins us for the football fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group coming up later on in the show. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions for the first time in 50 years as they took down the Phoenix Suns in six games with a gentleman's sweep, winning the last four games of that series after being down 0-2. Giannis Antetokounmpo was spectacular this series. Uh, the first three games, he was fourth all-time for points in the first three finals games of his career. And granted, he was playing injured. We didn't even think he was going to be able to give it a go for the finals. We didn't think he was going to be a hundred percent and he pulled out all the stops and it was just amazing. And that 50 point performance he had in game six, that was the most incredible closeout performance I've ever seen. Um, just remarkable. The job that Giannis did to lead that team and Mike Budenholzer, who we have given a hard time on this show for last two seasons of underachieving and and especially last year when they were the the, the clear favorites. Um, Budenholzer adjusted. They found ways to improve and get better and shut down Chris Paul and you know slow down DeAndre Ayton, I mean, Budenholzer deserves a lot of credit for the way that he coached these last few games in this series. Um, the Bucs were fantastic. They did a great job. I mean, this was getting what they did out of Drew Holiday. Who saw that happening? Uh, you know, Chris Middleton answered the call 
Um, we said that he had to step up and play big in these games. He did just that. Hell, even Brooke Lopez, who we gave a lot of crap about before this series began, he had his <laughs> moments too. I mean, uh, what a job by the Bucks to be down 0-2, to not, you know, be discouraged, to find new ways to adapt and adjust and and uh, and and pull this out. And it wasn't a deal where the Bucks ran into a, a Suns team that just gave up or something. No, the, the Suns were tough every single night, but the Bucks were just better. And Budenholzer found a way. Giannis stepped up to his game. Um, I was just amazed. Unbelievable job by the Bucks to win that title. And I'm happy for the folks in Milwaukee. You know, I, I was rooting for Phoenix, especially getting to be there and and uh, and be in Phoenix, you know, for several days. But I'm happy for the Bucks, Tom. What a job by Giannis and company to bring home that championship. Yeah, it was incredible. And I think, not, I mean, a lot of credit to Giannis, obviously, because I didn't think he was going to be 100%. I mean, who hyperextends a knee and then drops, you know, 50 points two weeks later? Uh, not very many people, if it if it at all. Um, but, yeah, you got to give credit to Mike Budenholzer. I mean – you can tell. I mean, Monty's in the in the co- in the pop coaching tree too, but obviously, so is Mike, and he was able to make adjustments. and And the Suns really didn't have an answer for it. You know, the first two games kind of got a feel for the Suns and and figured out what they needed to do to to slow down Aiton and slow down Chris Paul and pretty much frustrate Devin Booker uh, a lot. I mean, you can tell Devin Booker's still young. Uh, I mean, I granted, this is his first playoff run, and hell, he about did it. But he's got a lot to learn, too. So, I mean, Mike Budenholzer was able to make those adjustments to frustrate the Suns, and it ended up in four straight games. So, credit to him, credit to, <clears throat> credit to Milwaukee. You know, the fan – you know, that place had to be rocking. Um, there was a bar in Phoenix that I read that – was offering free shots for every single free throw that Giannis missed. Or, no, for every single free throw he made. Because they were, you know, thinking that he wasn't going to make very many. He made 19 in that last game. So, I don't know who's all still alive in Phoenix after 19 shots. Or even if that bar is going to be able to make margin. But, yeah. Um, I am, I'm a little shocked that they, they did so in that fashion, but, uh, they were tough right down to the end. They, you know, didn't give up a lot of, you know, a lot of teams haven't been there before or don't have as much playoff experience. You get down 2-0, you pack it up and book your ticket to Cancun and the Bucks just didn't do that. Uh, showed, you know, crazy fortitude for, you know, I guess I'm, I'm trying to think who on that team would have the most playoff experience. I mean, I guess probably Giannis and just from their previous playoff runs, but not really a solid old even, vet. Even Drew Holiday didn't have a whole lot of playoff experience. Uh, right. So. I mean, I'm trying to think who on that team. Yeah. Um, not, even Brooke Lopez hasn't been a whole lot of playoffs either. Yeah. Where was Pat, where was Pat Connaughton for? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a good question, but I mean, yeah, they don't really have anybody that's really, I in quotes, been there, right? Um, well, now I you mean, look Bruno's at Giannis been there. I mean, you look at Giannis after this, he's just what 26 years old, 
five-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA. He's a champion, finals MVP, two-time MVP. Um, This is just the beginning for Giannis. I think that right now Giannis is the best player in the world. And what he was able to do to put his demons behind when it came to free throws, I mean, he was hitting, you know, those three-point shots. He was playing great defense, you know, on, on you know, a true two-way player on both ends. It was incredible. And to do what he did to this be, what, year nine, year 10 in Milwaukee, and he still got four years left on his contract there in Milwaukee to promise that title for Milwaukee, to say that he wasn't leaving until he brought that city a championship, um, you know, the, the humble attitude that he has, um, it just goes so counterculture to today's NBA. This was not a super team. This was built organically. It goes against what LeBron James and Kevin Durant have tried to turn this league into, and it's refreshing. I, I want to root on Giannis. Uh, this is a guy that uh, I, I plan to enjoy watching basket, his basketball game for a long time. I and mean, he is going to be the face of the league if he isn't already. And it, it's going to be great to see. Uh, we, we needed this. I think the league needed Giannis to have this moment and to kind of have this changing of the guard of sorts. It's Giannis's league now. Yeah, I mean, he sure played like it. I mean, 50 points, 10 rebounds, five blocks. It's can't really get much better than stat line than that. I mean, I mean, even the Suns. I mean, the Suns, a lot of people I've been seeing that they said they won't mug it back to the finals for some time. I, I don't know, maybe. Um, you know, Chris Paul, I feel bad for him. But, I mean, the Suns aren't a super team, and they, they played good team basketball. I mean, that first game, we couldn't stop jerking them off. I mean, they were playing, they were playing great. Uh, it is refreshing for this for this league, and I I don't know if you saw Giannis's little shot at James Harden or not, but I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, you know, he he said I'm not gonna put anybody on the spot, but he pretty much was talking about James Harden uh, because James Harden threw shade at Giannis about just running in and dunking. Um, and I, I love to see that. Hopefully we get back to more of a non-super team league. I can't say that we will. Um, but for what it's worth, I mean, you, you want to say cheaters never win. I wouldn't call creating a super team cheating in a way. But at the same time, it, it's refreshing to see that that's not rewarded with the championship in the end. Well, then what's wild, too, is that as much as we have hated this luxury tax system and what it did for teams just to be able to spend lots of money on uh, free agents, like what the Warriors did and such, and, you know, what the, the Heat did in their days, you know, with LeBron and, you know, the big three and such. Um, the Bucks, in their case, actually used the system to their advantage. They used that luxury tax money that they were able to get from other teams and they've been able to keep their star talent, been able to keep those guys in-house and build that culture from the inside. They drafted well. Giannis was not a top 10 pick. Chris Middleton, they acquired via trade, and he was in the G League at one point in time. Um, there's two sides to this story uh, with the way the league is structured. We have seen it get taken advantage of, of playing you know a New York Yankees-style 
brought to basketball, but we are now seeing that you can still be a small market and win and do it the so-called right way. Uh, the Bucks use the system to their advantage. It worked out. I'm glad to see that that can still take place in today's NBA. Yeah, I mean, it's the built, not bought. And I'm glad it's still around. That's how it should be. You build through the draft. You, you know, you make the right acquisitions that work with the culture of your team. You don't just go and shoot your shot all over the trade board, hoping that you end up getting lucky and getting a super team. Now, I mean, to be fair, if the Spurs ran out and got James Harden, KD, and Kyrie Irving, I would be over the moon for sure. But it, it's, it wouldn't feel the same like it did with Duncan Parker and Ginobili. I mean, it, it, does, it, it feels – I don't know. I mean, I'm obviously super biased, and you know how much I love small markets. But it feels more genuine when you see these players in your franchise grow with the team and mature and get better all in all in and for your team, and then it results in a championship. So I know Milwaukee's over the moon. The people of Milwaukee, the Bucks fans, are over the moon right now. Uh, the same way I was over the moon when the Spurs won it in 2014 and all the previous ones. Uh, you know, where it wouldn't feel as genuine for Nets fans, suck all these years, get lucky, and just be in Brooklyn. So, oh, KD's here, Kyrie's here, Blake Griffin's here, LaMarcus was there for a brief stint, uh, you know, Kyrie. It's just like, well, it doesn't feel as genuine if you – you know, hurry up and win one, and the, all the other players are like, okay, well, that's good. We're good. We're, we're going somewhere else now. It doesn't feel as genuine. So when you have all those players that you've drafted and built built around and have that culture, I mean, and being in a small market that it, it's – I don't know. I'm, I'm biased, obviously. It's better. It's better. It's, it feels it feels more like you're part of the team. And, I mean, that's the, the essence of being a fan. It's in some way feeling part of that team or like you, even though you don't have any ownership, make you feel like you do in a way, in an unconscious way. You know, you say my team or, you know, you refer to your team as we. I do that a lot with the Spurs. We have to get better. We are going to make the playoffs. We won that championship. Uh, and it's not always right. But like I said, essence of being a fan, that brings the culture in when you build the team, not buy the team. And that's what Milwaukee did. That's what the Suns have kind of done. Uh, and that's what the whole NBA should move towards. It, it just makes for a better product. Now, as far as the Suns go, I don't think this team has anything to hang their hats on about. Um, they went way farther than anyone gave them a chance to. I mean, this team didn't make the postseason for a decade. And when they brought in Chris Paul, people were like, okay, well, we'll see what you do with Chris Paul. He's kind of old now. But for them to be the two seed, to have the season that they did, to take down the Lakers when no one gave them a shot in that opening series and to dominate the Lakers like they did, the famous Suns and Four sweep against the Nuggets, and then to beat the Clippers like they did, win these first two games of this series – uh, what a run by the Suns. Monty Williams deserves a lot of credit. Chris Paul uh, as well for the culture that they established there for getting that team to play and figure out their roles pretty quickly. Everyone had that defined role. It, it felt like just these last four games, though, the 
the wheels just kind of came off the wagon for the Suns. DeAndre Ayton uh, really started to lose his touch. Chris Paul had some bad games there. Uh, I think he was starting to run out of gas. Uh, they really struggled in the defensive end. I mean, Milwaukee was making everything those last few games. I mean, game five, the game I was at, Bucks shoot like 65%. Phoenix couldn't play any defense. Um, it, it's It just felt like they ran out of gas. You know, that at the very end, they kind of ran out of time. People fig- The Bucks figured it out, and they didn't have anywhere to go from there. Uh, the Suns, hell of a run. I think it's still a great story, even if they don't win the title. I know a lot of folks were wanting Chris Paul to get that ring that he's been chasing his entire career. That would have been cool to see. But nonetheless, um, it's still a great run. I don't think there's anything to take away from the Suns. Uh, they still achieve far more than anyone expected them to. Oh, yeah. And then I don't, then, like I said before, I think a lot of people are already writing them off that this is a one and done situation. Now, even if, if Chris, you know, Chris Paul even said, they said, are you going to retire? Are you going to retire? No, he's not retiring. I don't think he will for, and he's going to play till he's 50 if that means he has to get, you know, ends up getting a ring. Uh, you know, he's got to be, he's, he's got to be super frustrated. Um, and, and you, you said it, they, they shouldn't hang their hats on anything. I mean, they got to keep your head up. I mean, they played phenomenal. Uh, I mean, like I said, the first two games we could stop talking about them. I thought it was a freaking wrap after that. And Mike Budenholzer proved me wrong. And, and I wouldn't say necessarily out coach Monty Williams. He just made the correct adjustments. I mean, it's a game of chess between the coaches and Mike won this round. So, uh, you know, especially with a player like Giannis and, and him at first, maybe not being as healthy. He, he, he's, he's a freaking athletic. He's, he's a freak of nature, honestly, um, to be able to do what he did. But yeah, the Suns, I think they'll be back. Are they going to make the finals again next year? I, I don't know. I, if you would have told me at the beginning of this year, they were going to go up 2-0 in the finals. I would have laughed. Um, but that's, that's what we like to see right in the NBA. We like to, we don't like predictability. Uh, that was maybe the most refreshing thing. We talked about refreshing things and being team basketball and built, not bought. I think the most refreshing thing for me is that if you said Bucks Sun series at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the season, I said, okay, Bucks, sure. Suns, what? I said, no, I said, absolutely not. I was like, come on, Chris. I would have said Chris Paul doesn't make them finals good. That's exactly what I told you. I'll tell you that. I would have laughed in your face. Uh, so nobody predicted that. And that's what's great about it. When you don't predict it, you know, what's you, you watch your movie and you already know what's going to happen. It's like, well, okay, I don't really care. Then you play on your phone for the duration of the movie. Same way with the NBA for a long time. Okay, Warriors are going to win the championship. Wherever LeBron's at, he's. His team's probably going to make it. It's going to be Warriors versus LeBron. Okay. Well, why don't even why do I even watch the season? This season way different. Oh yeah, way different. And it was refreshing. So now, refreshing. Let's talk about going forward. Uh, a couple things here. So you got the NBA draft lottery next week. We're fully expecting Cade Cunningham to be that number one pick and be a member of the Detroit Pistons. And it's going to suck because I feel like his career is going to be wasted in Detroit until he can get out of there when his rookie contract's up. As far as these two teams go, I think the Suns are going to bring back Chris Paul. I would expect like a two-year deal of some sorts, probably get paid a decent amount of money, and they're still going to be a good team next year. 
on the Bucks end of things. Um, I like what they have, but I am concerned about Drew Holiday's contract. He's going to get a lot of money over the next few years. I don't think there's any way Drew Holiday can play any better than what he did in the NBA Finals. I think you're going to see a drop-off with Drew Holiday, and he's not going to be worth the money that he is due. I think that's going to hold them back a bit. Those are the things that over the next few weeks, Tom, you know, really this next year or so, when you look at where we're headed draft-wise, Cade Cunningham time, Suns, Chris Paul's coming back. They'll be good again, um, but he will get paid. And the Bucs, uh, they could be back here again next year, but I, I am concerned about that Drew Holiday contract in, in the next few years, though. Yeah, I mean, how, how much better can he play can you can he sustain that? I mean, it's it's pretty hard to sustain, and like you said, it's a that's a it's a big contract. I mean, could the Bucks do better elsewhere? Will they? Will they? You know, and and that's the hardest thing about winning a championship is that everybody thinks they need more pieces of the pie. Uh, where you know, if you keep it as is, you can run it back. Everyone else is like, well, I got the championship now. I'm an NBA world champion. I can go out and get way more money elsewhere. And that's what usually happens. That's why it's so hard to go back to back. Um, so for that, we will see there. The Bucks could, though. Like I said, the East is not crazy. Yes, you have the Nets, who should be healthy next year. Um, can they keep that boat together? The Bucks could very well be back. It'll be a lot harder, in my opinion, for the Suns to be back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got one more off-season prediction for you, uh, you know, as far as things going forward. Uh, we've been hearing this Damian Lillard stuff. Um, I think before the season starts, Tom, Damian Lillard is a member of the 76ers and Ben Simmons is playing for the Blazers. You think Ben Simmons is playing with the Lakers? The Blazers. Oh, okay. I, I was like, wait a second, who does the Blazers get? Um, yeah, I could see him going to New York Knicks. I'm pairing up with Julius Randle if he goes. But 76ers, maybe not a terrible place for him. Uh, I I don't know. I, I'm not going to guarantee or, or say where he's going to go. I'd say probably Knicks if I had to. But if he does go or, you know, if wherever he goes, I can tell you that Ben Simmons is not going to be on the 76ers when we start the season here in a couple of months. There's that no way. Can- that's a guarantee. Uh, ben Simmons will not be in Philly. Uh, that's for certain. But what an NBA season. Certainly the most entertaining we've had in quite some time. And and uh, I'm looking forward to this draft next week and what's in store here uh, the next few months uh, before we get started again with another NBA season in October. Our first normal NBA season in over two years coming ahead. Coming up next, Steve Weish of the NFL Network is going to stop by. We'll talk football as we'll go around the National Football League and follow that up with Coach Bo's football fix. And uh, later on, we're uh, going to talk Olympics and have our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. All that and more as we continue. Stay with us here at the Jones Report. <laughs> 
Joining us now on the Jones Report this week is our buddy Steve Weish of the NFL Network and NFL Media. As we just crossed the 10-year mark of doing this show, Steve's been a big part of uh, this show's history, and we're so excited to uh, bring him on now. Steve, appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks for joining us and and uh, certainly uh, have enjoyed uh, talking to you the last several years and looking forward to another NFL season ahead as we get started with uh, these training camps here. Well, Tyler, congratulations on the milestone. Um, I love seeing you do your thing. You know, I'm your biggest fan. And so uh, just looking forward for the season to get uh, to get popping up, man, ramping up mentally because we're here. I mean, next next Monday I will be in Houston, Texas for the, the start of the Texas training camp and be ready to rock and roll. All right, let's get started right off the jump, Steve, with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, we hear the report from Adam Schefter that he turned down the two-year extension that would have made him the highest-paid player in the National Football League. Where do things stand with Aaron and the Packers as uh, we're, uh, we're at right now? Yeah, you know, a lot of folks from NFL Network have been reporting that uh, all summer long that he had turned down uh, a contract extension offer. But, look, going into camp, it's interesting. I, I, I got a call from a really plugged-in guy the other day um, who was just like nobody really knows if he's going to show or not. But the thinking is if he doesn't show – Okay, how hard is he going to get dug in? How, how hard are the Packers going to dig in? But if he does show, what was all this for? Because I can tell you this, and speaking to people, I mean, his issues are not financial. His issues are with management. He has seen from the way things were where this is a team of the people to, according to the person I spoke with, him feeling that it's kind of like the old Chicago Bulls where organizations win championships not players like that type of mentality has kind of creeped through the organization down to the players. And, and, you know, and Aaron Rodgers, of course, being the spearhead is like, no, it's not like that. So his problems are with management. It is with organizational leadership. It is not with Matt LaFleur. It is not with the coaching staff and he loves his teammates. So he wants to play. Apparently we shall see. Because if he doesn't come in day one or two, he's, he's not coming. It's going to be a stare down. And we'll see if he can force a trade a la Carson Palmer style. If they try to go after some of his money, this will be the story of the start of training camp, whether he shows up or not. But as right now, people just don't know. What do you think it would take for Aaron Rodgers to be happy with Green Bay? What type of moves would they have to do to keep the peace of sorts? probably get rid of some people in management, which the organization said it's not going to do. So, you know, he might be either just let me play out my deal or, you know, exacerbate things by trade, making a trade somehow. Um, but this is more of a personality clash than any other thing, according to every people I've, I've every person I've spoken to over the past few months. How confident <clears throat> Do you think the Packers are in Jordan Love's ability? If they don't play Aaron Rodgers, I know he's coming off an MVP season and all, do they think they can still compete with uh, Jordan Love right away? Tough call. Tough to answer. I mean, look, they really haven't seen him. I mean, because last year at COVID, we didn't even have preseason games. So they haven't seen him play. They've seen him practice. But all last season, Aaron Rodgers was taking all the snaps. So they probably feel like maybe he's kind of like, this is a reset on the rookie year. And they've got to develop him. And this team is not built for that. You know, they've got veteran players like Zedaria Smith and guys on defense, you know, Kenny Clark, guys to win now. This is a team, remember, that was just a victory away from getting to the Super Bowl. Um, and so if they've got to reset the clock with Jordan Love, which is probably primarily a running team, 
to do some things differently. That's, that's a different, that's a different episode. Let's not forget the Vikings. Dalvin Cook stays healthy this year. And that defense, I mean, they were decimated last year. They're, they are going to be a tough out in that division. Um, so with Aaron Rodgers, they're a Super Bowl contender without him. I, I don't think they're that confident from people I've spoken to just because they just don't know yet how he's going to react to game action. And, and with Aaron Rodgers, if they were to move him, do you think Denver's still the most likely destination? Seems like they've been the most talked about. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, they've got the salary cap space to do it. They've got the chips to do it um, in terms of draft picks and things like that. You know, I'm sure a lot of teams would like to get into play, but that's the team right now that, you know, everyone seems to have him linked to. And we know John Elway, he will make that deal in two seconds, probably over, you know, overpay, so to speak, to do it just because look at the cachet for having Peyton Manning for two years. Look what that did to that organization. So, a, a replay of that would, would be absolutely incredible. Let's uh, talk about the Kansas City Chiefs team I covered for quite some time. They end up uh, bringing back Alex Okafor on a one-year deal that was announced this week. They're still dealing with this uh, Frank Clark situation, don't know his status. Uh, what do you make of what uh, Kansas City stacks up to be and, and how uh, they, they should go about handling this uh, situation here with Frank Clark? Well, Frank Clark, I mean, they're going to take the lead from their own security investigators and the league security investigators. Um, the league could <clears throat> put them on the commissioner's exempt list and just say, look, we'll pay you to stay away while we investigate this. Um, but this is a, a fairly serious thing, you know, this weapons charge. So the one thing is, if it plays out, if it's something that where there's not going to be any type of adjudication of sorts in the courts until after the season, okay, that could buy, you know, the Chiefs and Clark some time unless the league decides like, hey, we're going to stop down on this until we, you know, we've got enough information as to where we're going to put him on the commissioner exempt list. He can't play this season. So that it's all a wait and see game because of legalities with that. But in terms of the Chiefs as a whole, um, look, we know offensively the offensive line was the issue in the Super Bowl. They get uh, Duvarney Tardif back on the offensive line. Remember, he, he sat out last season to work in the hospitals up in Canada during the COVID situation. That's that's a clear upgrade um, right there. They got Orlando Brown at right tackle from the Baltimore Ravens. Um, so they may have actually upgraded, even though they lost Eric Fisher and and Schwartz was hurt. Um, their offensive line looks ready to rock and roll. And anytime you got Patrick Mahomes, man, you are a Super Bowl contender. So they are they are very much in place still to be the team to beat in the AFC. Well, and if you're looking for any positive spin of some sorts on this, Steve, I would think, you know, for the Chiefs, you have time now. This is still before camp, camp starting yep. on Friday. Um, we know what Brett Veach has been able to do with the moves that he's been able to, uh, you know, figure out the last couple of years. I don't think this is a, a situation that can't be handled with time being on their side. Maybe you can't get another Frank Clark, but you could find some replacement of some sorts that could make the, the, the pain a little less. Well, they have bodies who will be able to fit Steve Spagnuolo's scheme and do what they do. But, I mean, Frank, Frank Clark's a really good player, man. That's a disruptive right. guy. You know, those guys don't grow on trees. So, you know, yeah, you maybe you can overcompensate with some scheme and some things that you do um, to try to generate pressure to, to really be a force with some things against the run. Um, but in, for as far as an individual dude who can win, like I said, those guys don't grow on trees, and Frank Clark's one of the best. 
Yeah, he is. Uh, news this week, Cam Akers uh, is out for the Rams. Uh, I know that you know, you're right there in Los Angeles. You've seen that Rams team a lot. What do they do now without uh, Cam Akers at that running back spot? They certainly were going to rely on him a lot, it seemed, this year. Yeah, that's a tough blow because he's a really good player. I mean, we saw him kind of last year slowly ease into becoming a burgeoning superstar, right? He was kind of on that Dalvin Cook trail where he could really make the big play on the off-tackle run, a really good receiver. He just had to get some of the pass protection stuff down, which he eventually did. So this is a big blow because Daryl Henderson um, – who they drafted a couple of years ago out of Memphis, nice player, explosive player, but the durability issues are a legit concern. So I think they'll probably go with Daryl and some younger players that they develop. And this is one thing that the Rams do not get enough credit for. They develop players along with the Patriots and Ravens uh, and the Seahawks better than anybody in the NFL with young players in certain positions. They develop the hell out of them. And they're doing it without first round picks too. Well, yeah, they don't, they don't have any for until, like, you know, 3,022 because they traded them all away. So, I mean, look – yeah, right. Look at some of the third-round and fourth-round players that they've drafted, some undrafted guys, some guys off the practice squad who they poach from other teams who they develop to fit what they do. So, I think they are going to go the young player route. Um, you know, there's some veterans out there, Lev Bell. Todd Gurley's not coming back. Scratch that one. That, that relationship was not great when he left. Um, so, you know, they, they will have some options. Some other teams will let some guys go probably at some point. Um, Adrian Peterson is still out there. But I think they really like players who have been in their system and who've really been kind of homegrown at that position uh, just to try to work things out. I mean, Sean McVay is that offensive mastermind. He'll, he'll find something, right? He will. And, Steve, the, the Rams, to me, are a very fascinating team going into 2021. You bring in a new quarterback in Matthew Stafford who uh, – everything looks like he can be a franchise quarterback in this league, just waiting for the right opportunity. We know how good of a coach Sean McVay is. This is a team that has Super Bowl aspirations. I'm looking at them, uh, Steve. I, I think they got a good shot to win the NFC. What say you? They've got a good shot. I mean, the one thing I'm looking at, it, and it's really kind of the untold story, the unspoken story, is the coaching drain. They have lost a ton of people from their coaching staff. Joe Barry, their linebackers coach, is now the Packers D.C., Aubrey Pleasant, who every player, including Jalen Ramsey on that defense, will tell you was the secret sauce to what Brandon Staley did last year's coordinator. He is now the secondary coach in Detroit. Brandon Staley, the D.C. who made them the number one defense in the NFL, is now coaching across town with the Chargers. So, And then they, they lost uh, Aaron Cromer, the offensive line coach. So they've got a lot of indoctrination to do the good thing is they've been able to get on field during OTAs and mini camps and get those people in. Now Raheem Morris is a fantastic defensive coordinator. I don't think this defense is going to drop off much whatsoever, even though they lost, you know, Troy Hill and John Johnson at, at safety and nickel corner. Those are two stud players, both in Cleveland now, which is why the Browns are a legit contender to challenge the Chiefs. Um, but I, I think the Rams, once they get going, have a legitimate opportunity to win the division and to come out of the NFC, if, if Stafford can stay upright. That's the main thing. Staying in the, that same division, the NFC West, uh, still haven't heard about Larry Fitzgerald's status, if he's going right. to retire or not. What say you? What do you think uh, is going to happen? Uh, the, the Cardinals have a great receiving court, one of the best in the league. Do you think Fitz comes back for another run? I don't. I, I think this is probably it. The fact that it's, it's gone this deep, 
Um, I think they're just kind of figuring out the best way because he's, he's the fabric. I mean, he is, he is Arizona sports, even though the Suns just played for the NBA championship and the Diamondbacks have done what they've done. Larry Fitzgerald is the face of Arizona sports. So now that the Suns have won, uh, you know, have, have finished the NBA finals, um, I think soon we might be hearing something about Larry Fitzgerald. I don't know. I don't have any science on it, but I do not expect him uh, to come back and play this year. And I think some of the moves they made this offseason kind of dictate that. Well, you look at that receiving core. You bring in A.J. Green. You already had DeAndre Hopkins and, and uh, some of those others there. Um, I mean, even if Fitz isn't there or not, you're not going to be able to double-team Hopkins like uh, most teams would like to do. Not so much anymore. That's why every team in that division better have a stud corner. I mean, the Rams do. They've got Jalen Ramsey, who's like just, you know, other than Aaron Donald, the best defensive player in the NFL. But the Seahawks have questions at corner. Um, you know, you, you, the, the Niners have questions at corner. So that's going to be a formidable option. But, but you know, those teams can generate pressure. So if the, if the Cardinals can't block for Kyler Murray, which became an issue, and they can't run the ball, which has definitely been an issue, then teams will be like, okay, we'll, fig- we'll figure it out. We'll get pressure. We'll force Kyler-, Kyler Murray out of the pocket. We'll make him uncomfortable, and we'll see what they can do. I mean, I-, I really think the way they finished last year after Kyler Murray got a little banged up has put Cliff Kingsbury in a situation where he's got to win this year, or otherwise his job status gets a little tenuous. And that's I what a terrible ask in a division like that, right? That's, a- that's the toughest division top to bottom in the NFL. And they have to come in with your seat a little bit warm is, is a tough thing to do. Yeah, uh, certainly. Uh, he's proven to be the offensive mind, but a matter of if that defense uh, can come to uh, we'll, we'll We'll see. We'll see if he's proven to be that offensive mind. Last, last, last I checked, uh, they've been finishing third or fourth in the division, uh, regardless of what happens, and it ain't all on the defense. <laughs> Okay, that's fair. Uh, we'll uh, move on. Uh, the Cowboys uh, have reported to camp. They're in Oxnard, uh, not too far from you. Uh, and obviously, Hard Knock's going to go on with them as well. What do you make of uh, how things are in Dallas right now? It's going to be interesting because, you know, offensively, they're just, they're just super loaded. I mean, you've got Dak, um, who was playing well before he got hurt. You know, he started, started and finished four games, got hurt in the fifth game. Ezekiel Elliott's coming off a down year, but that that was expected to happen when you have backup quarterbacks and everybody stacking the line of scrimmage saying, okay, Andy Dalton beat us. Um, but then you've got, you know, CeeDee Lamb and, you know, Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup at wide receiver. They've got players. The offensive line's got to stay healthy, though. I mean, that's that's the big thing here because the way the defenses are built in that division, I mean, you got to block the Washington football team. Those dudes are gangsters up front, right? The Giants got some players along that defensive front. So they have got to be able to run the ball. They've got to be more balanced because if you look at Dak's numbers, those first four games that he started and finished, they were, they were incredible. But then yeah. you look, you look, but you look at the passing attempts, Tyler, he threw the ball an average of 50 times a game in those four games. What is that? That's you getting your butt smacked because the defense wasn't very good. You're playing catch up and you've got no balance. Dak cannot be throwing the ball more than 31, 32 times a game if the Cowboys are going to have a shot in the NFC East. Do you think that's those passing attempts? Is that more of a Kellen Moore thing, or is that more what Mike McCarthy wants out of this? No, no, that that, that was the game dictation. That was them falling behind, their defense giving up points. I mean, all those games were like 37, 39. You know, they were shootouts. The defense couldn't stop anybody. 
Um, and, and Dak was just doing great things offensively, but they were having to throw them. They, they were just in that situation. So that wasn't a schematic thing or strategic thing. That was the game dictating what they had to do. Thing. Sure, sure. Um, Dak, coming off the injury, do you think that we're, we're going to see him fully up to speed or, or is it going to take a while, you think, for Dak to, to get uh, back into full form? I think it'll take a little bit and maybe not so much of the injury, but just the rust. You know, you've got to get back to the mental, the mental speed and what opponents like to do and tendencies, you know, the reads and all of that. Um, because, you know, he's not going to play in the preseason. With 17 games, we're not going to see the starters play in the preseason. So I think it's going to take a little bit, but now for the physical um, element of things. And what's going to help Dak, because I do think this defense is going to be better um, with Dan Quinn coming in to take over the defense, playing that even front, which their personnel, that four-man front, is kind of structured better to play. You got Joe Witt, a really good secondary coach, who was with Mike McCarthy in Green Bay for years and developed uh, a lot of cornerbacks like Sam Shields and Tremont Williams, late round picture on drafted guys and the pro bowlers. So, you know, they've got, they just got, they got to keep on going with the personnel. We saw them draft heavily on defense. Um, I think they had eight defensive draft picks this year. Um, they got Nashawn Wright, the corner out of uh, Oregon State. He's a good player. He's, he's going to have an opportunity to get into that starting lineup. And then Michael Parsons, a middle linebacker, who's just all everything. Um, they need him, but those D tackles have got to be better because the Cowboys, I mean, 31st against the run last year. You can't stop the run, and then your offensive line can't run the ball. You're, you're, you're losing every cliche when it comes to football. When it comes to you got to be able to run the ball and stop the run. Yeah. That's what the Cowboys could not do. You're absolutely right about that. When you look at the East, you mentioned the Washington football team, how good they are defensively. We know the Giants and the Eagles weren't anything impressive last year. Do you think the Cowboys are the team to beat, or do you think it could be Washington uh, as the team, as, as the defending champions there in that division? Yeah, I would think Washington is right now, Brian Fitzpatrick. I mean, look, he's, he's going to win you some games and lose you some games, and my God, is he fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And when he has a defense like that, um, they really, really got a shot. Um, to win that division. I'll tell you, a team to look out for is the Giants. I mean, they Daniel Jones is, of course, is a wild card because he's a turnover machine, not right. just with the interceptions, but with the fumbles. That's got, I mean, if he does that stuff, then they've got to go in another direction um, because they've got, a, they've got a pretty darn good football team with Saquon coming back. They are solid on defense. They do not beat themselves with penalties or just dumb mental mistakes. You can tell that Joe Judge is a very good coach his second year getting those guys in order, um, I think, is a big thing. So Daniel Jones, with, with the help of a run game, should be better. But, you know, if he's going to keep coughing it up, he's got to go. I mean, he just he, – he's yeah. not that guy when they've got a team built around him. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. Let's stay in the uh, state of Texas from Dallas. Let's go over to the uh, Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson didn't get traded. He hasn't been suspended. The investigation's ongoing. Um, what say you, Steve, is I didn't think that Deshaun would be showing up to camp. Uh, do you think it looks like Deshaun's going to be out there when the season starts for Houston? Where are things at with Deshaun and the Texans right now? Well, I don't, I don't think he's going to be on the field when the season starts. Um, I'm curious. Like I said, I, I'm going to be going to Houston for the opening of their training camp next week. Uh, I, I don't know if they really know if he's going to be there or not. I mean, look, he could show up. The fact that he hasn't been suspended or not on the commissioner's list, he could show up so he doesn't get fined. Um, but maybe he's just like, hey, uh, you know, work with me here. I don't really need to get on the field. I'll just rehab or do whatever. We've seen things like this before in the NFL. I don't want to be a distraction. But it's going to be a distraction if he shows up no, no matter what. Um, 
if he doesn't, maybe he can come to some type of agreement saying, hey, look, don't punish me. I just I don't want to be there. And if I am there, it's going to be an issue. It's going to it's going to be toxic. So maybe they have to figure something out if they want to have any type of shot this year because they've lost a lot of talent. They were just pulling pulling bodies together um, during free agency just to fill out a roster. You know, Ty Taylor um, is probably going to be their starting quarterback if Deshaun Watson, which I again I don't expect him to be on the field at at the worst. You know, they're all together. Maybe more likely, I don't think he's going to be there. Um, but Ty Taylor be their quarterback. They're going to be a safe ball control type offense. You know, you got David Coley is their uh, new head coach, first time head coach coming over from the Ravens. Uh, he was their passing game coordinator. Just, just, there's just, there's just a lot of holes. And, and you know, some of the things you're hearing about what's happened organizationally, um, this is a, this is a tough road to hoe when, especially when you've got Tennessee and Indianapolis in the division and Jacksonville, of course, with Trevor Lawrence, they've got the opportunity with, with Urban Meyer, who's been a program resetter, um, to do some things, you know, right now, I think Houston without Deshaun is probably looking at that number one pick last next year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think you're right about that. Uh, down the road in uh, New Orleans, interesting quarterback battle between uh, Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. How do you see that shaking out, Steve? Love it. I, I love this. This is this is my training camp team to watch because their defense is, is, is really strong, except they got a question in one of their corners. You know, you got Marshawn Lattimore. Got to figure out what they're going to do on the other side. They were interested in Richard Sherman, but that doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. But with Jameis and Taysom, look, they didn't bring Jameis back to be the backup, Mm -hmm. right? When Jameis signed there initially, Sean Payton has actually told me, we brought him in saying, you sign with us, you learn a year under Drew, and you'll have an opportunity to be the starter. So I think it is Jameis's job to lose. I think the Saints want Jameis to win it. So Taysom Hill can continue to be the multidimensional weapon that he is. I mean, that offense is better when Taysom is a wide receiver and fullback and tight end and, and kind of the gimmick quarterback. So I know Jameis has been training like hell. And, you know, Jameis and talking to him, you know, he told me some things that he learned about Drew. Like one of the things we all know Jameis for is he's a risk taker, right? And, and so he said, Steve, you know, I've always been coached that football is results-oriented business. And they were in a game last season where they were down two scores late to the Raiders and they're still throwing eight yard outs and seven yards here. And he's, and he's flipping out. And, you know, when Drew Brees comes off the field, he's like, well, what is that? How come we're not taking shots? And they're like, here, football is a process related business. And if you accomplish the process, the results will come. And Jamie said, he's never been coached that way. Never heard that expression or never had the philosophy before in his life. So now he understands you take care of the small things the big things don't come often and the positive results do come. So if he can rein back being that risk taker and playing hero football with a great schemer like Sean Payton, I think the saints can be really, really dangerous. Well, and, and I look at his time in Tampa under Bruce Arians there. I mean, Bruce Arians, we know loves to be aggressive, the uh, no risk it, no biscuit mentality, you know, trying to you know throw the ball too much. I think that was a bad fit for, for Jameis with, with what he wants to do with, you know, trying to – it forced him to do too much. You get him in this, uh, you know, New Orleans system, we know he has the talent. That's not the issue. It's just a matter of putting it all together. I think this could be a very good marriage there between him and Sean Payton. He could learn a lot from Sean uh, that maybe wasn't the right fit with, with Arians. 
Well, and being humble, remember it wasn't just Bruce Arians; it was Dirk Cutter, right, for a couple of years. And Dirk and Dirk was yanking him in and out in and out of the lineup with Ryan Fitzpatrick and and things like that as well. The team wasn't nearly as talented as it was with Bruce, right? Um, but you know, being humbled by being the first overall pick, getting let go, being free to walk, and then having to sign a, a five million dollar contract just to be a backup. Um, you know, that's, 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 a that will cause some introspection, which Jameis clearly has done again, just have to see if he's, he's learned to retrain his, his style new or the old muscle memory will come back when, uh, when things really, really get under pressure. We got a little bit of time left. So we got to ask you about the reigning Super Bowl champs, the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks. They were just at the white house a couple of days ago. Tom Brady coming off that injury now. How are things feeling in uh, in Central Florida there? Should feel great. I mean, and look as well as the offense played down the stretch. Remember, it was that defense. Their their final four games of the regular season, and what they did in the playoffs when everybody got healthy, and when everybody started fully understanding what Todd Bowles wanted. I mean, they were monstrous. Their point differential was like five or six points less a game over the. Um, you know, final four regular season games in the playoffs, they beat the Buccaneers. I'm sorry, they beat the Saints, they beat the Packers, they beat the Chiefs. Three Super Bowl MVPs, they allowed four passing touchdowns, had six interceptions. So, if that defense carries over now that everyone's feeling more comfortable, remember Vita Villa is coming back healthy, he was out for a lot of the season. That D tackle was a monster, right. If they can stay healthy for the most part, they've got one of the best young defensive players in Devin White in the NFL. Antoine Winfield is a monster at safety in just his second year. That defense could be the real reason, as much as Tom Brady and everyone gets the accolades. That defense could be why we could see Tampa uh, as an NSC rep playing in the Super Bowl in Los Angeles in 2022. Well, and I look at this too, Steve, that they were a whole different team that last third of the season compared to the first two thirds, getting healthier on defense, finding their own offensively. I think in 2021, we're going to see what we saw at the end of last year compared to that slow start that they had to 2020. Uh, what, what say you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's, let's you know, we, we can't forget that COVID. You know, right. all these teams were, were quarterbacks changed teams or rookies started. They were at a disadvantage offensively because they were still figuring everything out. And, you know, usually when that happens, defenses can turn it loose and get after them. So they were just kind of getting their footing. Bruce Arians has admitted like, hey, I had to kind of get out of the way of Brady and Leftwich. who were working really well together. I had to kind of step back and let them do their thing. That's when the offense started clicking. The running game. Remember Leonard Fournette, where was he all season? Right. At the end of the season, he was killing it. Right. And him and Ronald Jones were killing it. So they were finally able to use him in the passing game like Brady. Right. Right. So, you know, they, they, they finally figured it out. But again, the defense is getting them the ball. That defense with you know, with Indomitian Sue and Shaq Bear and JPP and Vita V and Devin White and Levante David, just monstrous. I mean, and and that's, that's again, where I think is where the strength of this team lies in in this season, because teams are coming at them now. Teams are coming at them last year. But it is not it is not going to be easy sledding for the Buccaneers this year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they're the best team in the NFC with the Rams behind them. But I look at the AFC, Kansas City's one, but then you got a whole lot of teams competing for that second spot. Who do you think is the second best team in the AFC? Well, I'd have to say the Bills. Um, the Bills right now, because the Bills are nipping at their heels. Um, the Cleveland Browns, 
if Carson Wentz can just be halfway decent, the Colts are really talented, man. That that's a that's a dangerous team right there. You can't, you know, we, we can't. The Titans have been a thorn. Baltimore and teams have had Baltimore. You know, the Steelers are be interesting. They've had a lot of, you know, the offensive line. It needed to turn over. They had a lot of issues last year, but it hasn't turned over too much. Or are the replacements going to be good enough? Um, so the Steelers are an interesting question, but we know we can't count out. You know, as much as we say it every year, this time of year, it doesn't turn out to be the Chargers. I mean, that young quarterback is, is a beast, right? Justin Herbert is, is, is a real one. So to me, the AFC East is, I'm sorry, the AFC is just far more. I mean, it, it, like last year, the NFC, that seemed like there was 20 teams that were in it. And then the NFC East was like the complete disgrace to the whole sport. Right. You know, all season long. Um, I, I think the AFC this year is locked and loaded. And, oh, I, I forgot to mention the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. Right? This was a 10-win team that barely didn't make it last year. And if Tua shows any improvement, and they went out and got him, Will Fuller. And, and um, you know, they got in the wide receiver slot guy slash running back out of Alabama. I'm blanking on the name right now. But they've got talent, you know, to go along with Devontae Parker and Mike Kosicki. So if Tua can, can play – you know, a lot better, not just a little bit better. He's got to play a couple notches better than he played last season. Um, the Dolphins are going to be in the mix too. So that's another reason why the AFC is so deep. Yeah, and if Denver can find a way to get Aaron before the season starts too, then uh, that changes things for them certainly, of course. Uh, and the Patriots, you know, look, the Patriots are always not, you know, there's a big question mark right there as well. You yeah. know, if, if, if Cam or whomever, they, they're getting some players back from who opted out of COVID. Um, they're getting some players back. So we'll we'll see what happens there as well. Yeah. Last question went on this. What rookies do you like? Who do you think is going to stand out Ooh. right away? Oh, man. You got me on that one. I mean, that's a stand out right away. Well, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see if the quarterbacks, you know, Zach Wilson's definitely going to be the day one starter. We'll see what he has to go through with the Jets. Um, that's a team that, that's got away. But I mean, I, I talked about Micah Parsons, linebacker. For the Dallas Cowboys, he's you know he's somebody that we need to keep an eye on. Um, the tight end out of uh, for, for the Atlanta Falcons from Kyle the University Pitts. of Florida, Kyle Pitts. I think he's going to be a huge weapon. Um, we'll see how they use him. I don't know if he results in wins or losses, but you know that's that's another player because we haven't seen a lot of rookie tight ends just kind of come in and, and, and be that guy. And I think Trevor Lawrence is going to do some things. I mean, I really, you know, I look, you look at Urban Meyer's history of, of rebuilding programs from Utah to Florida, Ohio state, he does it quickly. And he's always got a quarterback who could run and throw. And Trevor Lawrence, I, I think is, is going to be pretty good. I'm sure I'm missing, you know, 25 people right now, but you know, those are, those are three guys, you know, I'm, I'm really looking at to do some stuff, but we're going to have like some sixth round rookie running back, like lead the NFL and rushing or something like that, but um, I like uh, I like Jamar Chase in Cincinnati pairing up with Joe Burrow again. That's going to be fun. I mean, some of these rookies we're talking about, whether it's you know Jalen Waddle going to Philly or uh, you know some of these other storylines, you know, whether it's Etn joining Lawrence in a Jacksonville. We're seeing a lot of the college pairings together that we haven't seen before. That's a good point. You know, they just have to keep Joey Burrow upright. I mean, remember they they pass on a bunch of offensive linemen and Joey Burrow was on pace to get sacked more than David Carr was in his 75 sack rookie year. So that's not a good thing. Yeah. Steve, we got to go follow this guy on Twitter and all his social media platforms. Does an incredible job covering the national football league. Steve, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us, man. 
Thanks for having me, Tyler. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can check out O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. Also reach out to Bo by phone, 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. Also by email, brian.o'connor at lpl.com. That's brian with an R. Uh, Don O'Connor at LPL.com. Also on Facebook, O'Connor Advisory Group. Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, how we doing? Uh, we uh, we hit the 10-year mark of the show. I know you've only been a part for this last year or so, but uh, man, it's uh, it's been good to have you along for the ride, man. Yeah, you know, 10 years. Congratulations, dude. That's that's awesome. How old are you, like nine when you did this? Uh, 15, <laughs> but I might as well have been nine. <laughs> no, you, you've done a great job, and uh, you know, I enjoy what I'm on with Tom as well, and I think you guys have been a great pair together and you've done such a great job with your interviews, your knowledge over time has grown so drastically. And uh, I mean, you're, you're great. And I think you got one of the best podcasts out here. I appreciate it. I'm proud to be here. I'm proud to be here every week. Hey, we we always have a great time with you and we always get a little more knowledge too, when you join us for the, uh, the football fix and uh, Bo, I know that you've been getting irritated talking about Aaron Rodgers so much this offseason with not much going on, but we finally have something. This is real, Bo. I'm not making this up. This actually happened. Uh, According to ESPN's Adam Schefter, uh, that there was a report that came out that Aaron Rodgers declined a two-year extension to make him the highest-paid player in the National Football League. Bo, clearly this is not about money. Hey, real quick, Adam Schefter, same Adam Schefter that ruined the draft for all of us. <laughs> yes. Coming up with the bullshit in the beginning. Yes. Uh, you know, what does it really mean? It means that everything we've been saying for the past month is true, that Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Packer for one more season, then he's going to move on. Um, you know, yeah, he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want an extension. It's not about money. It's about respect. It's about everything else. He's going to get paid no matter where he is, so – uh, I think that it's just a sign that all the stuff we've talked about for the last what, six, eight weeks now has been spot on that we know what the playbook is. He's there one season. That's it. So now that the Packers look like that they're going to have Aaron Rodgers for this year, I think, Bo, you don't have to worry about the effort. Aaron Rodgers is still going to play for his team. He's still going to play for his coaches and throw it out on the line. Um, but do you see this being a distraction, though? Do you think that with all this going on, is it going to affect his team and his teammates, knowing that this is pretty much it for Aaron? I think that we're going to all talk about it, but I think that the Packers, it's not necessarily a distraction. I think it's actually the opposite. Hear me out on this. I think it's actually the opposite because now everyone knows this is Jordan Love's team in 2022. So all, you know, as P.J. Fleck would say, we can row the boat. Yeah. And we're all rowing the boat the same way. So if you know, we've got Rodgers for 2021, and then the kid coming in 2022, I think, if anything, it's it's good for the team, a distraction. You know, people in the media are going to say that. We're going to say that as fans that it's a distraction. Anytime Rodgers has a bad game or the Packers lose, the first question is going to be, well, is your contract a distraction or just a distraction? We're going to hear it all season long. Look, these are all professionals. They all know the score. They all know what's going on. Now they know the timetable. 
that it's a for sure deal. This is it. This is going to be it. It's his last ride. He's going to be somewhere else in 2022, barring some sort of miracle. So I think that, you know, I don't think it should be a distraction, but we're going to hear a lot about it like it is. Now, the teams that are interested in Aaron Rodgers, um, even if the chances don't look very likely that he's out of Green Bay, if you're like Denver or whoever it may be, you know, if Aaron's not showing up to camp or anything like that, you're still on the phone, right? You're still trying to push for a deal as much as possible. If you really want Aaron, it doesn't – you can't call too many times, can you? I agree with your thinking there. I think if you're a team that thinks you're an Aaron Rodgers away from being a contender, then yes, uh, you still make those phone calls. And if you're the Packers, you still take the phone calls. I mean, what's it going to hurt? But listen, you might get something. You might get wowed by a deal and have to take it, which is fine because – you're not going to get a lot for him at the end of the season. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. But I think, think you're, I think you're onto something there. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think uh, that would be the, the course of action that things will continue that route, but I will ultimately see what happens. Let's go ahead and move on. Uh, how about in Kansas City, Alex Okafor signs a one-year deal. We know about Frank Clark and his issues. We don't know if he's going to play – for the Chiefs this year. Alex Okafor has been a good value piece for the Chiefs. They haven't had to spend a whole lot of money on him. Uh, he was previously in New Orleans before he showed up in uh, Kansas City. Uh, Vol, I like this signing. I like what the Chiefs did, uh, not spending a whole lot to bring back Okafor, who's been a good value piece for that Chiefs Spagnolo defense. Yeah, he's a nice player. He's been a nice player his whole career. Uh, I'm a big fan of his from his New Orleans days, and he played well in Kansas City as well. Um, yeah, I think it's a good said I've done a big salary cap hit. A one-year deal is always positive for both sides. And as a player, he's going to try to show out as well as he can because he knows the big money's on the back end in 2022. So I think it's a real good situation. I mean, think about it. if you're a player like like Alex Okafor, you have a chance to play on a team where you can get a lot, you can get a lot of PT in the rotation up front. You're going to be on a team that's going to be going to be looking at getting pass rush all the time because there's going to be times for you as a D tackle who can pass rush from there. You can get up the field and do some stuff. He'll be able to show off there a little bit. I think it's a really good choice for one year for both sides. Yeah, I do too. Um, and, you know, the the whole thing we were just talking about with Steve Weiss a couple minutes ago was that this whole thing with Frank Clark, they're not finding out about Frank Clark in November or December. Time is on their side. I know they would like to have Frank Clark, you know, out there week one and have him all season. But if they have to replace him, if it takes these guys like, you know, Okafor and others, whatever it may be, if they figure out they can't, you know, if they don't have something there to immediately fix with uh, Frank Clark out, they have time to kind of figure this out, right? Yeah. And this is a situation where you're also looking at it as a player. You're thinking, well, you know, let's talk about the Chiefs first. The Chiefs saying, as a team, hey, this is a player who could substitute in there, theoretically. It isn't the exact position, but he can play there. Uh, gives you some depth at a position where you want to keep guys fresh on the defensive line. You want to have a rotation up front where you got, you know, four guys who are on the field. You want to have six or seven. You can keep rotating in and out. Get what you can get after the pass rush. And then also – on the player side, I think this is something where we talked about this back during the free agency started, you know, back in like March, was there's players going to sign one-year deals with the Chiefs 
because they think they got a legit chance to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, maybe if there's a guy that was retired or uh, is sitting out there, you know, you can make a move for if there's a cut or something. I mean, you can figure this out. Yeah. If you if you see a good camp cut of a, of a veteran that can still get you, you know, a number of plays a game and we're willing to come in on a small salary, you're going to see more guys do that with the Chiefs because, I mean, you, you're sitting there with Patrick Mahomes, which is going to give you a chance to be in the contention for Super Bowl every year. Um, the Chiefs are the favorite right now. You know, we saw the same thing happen with the Bucs last year with Brady. And we're going to see more of this through Mahomes' career as well. He's going to get – people are going to want to go play with him on that one-year deal. Because in post-career life, having the, the opportunity to put Super Bowl champ in front of your name helps open some more doors for you, whether it's in speaking events or autograph signings or anything, business in the business world. You're Alex Okafor, former defensive tackle. That's not as good as Super Bowl champion Alex Okafor. You know, there's something to that. You'll see, you've seen that, you know, time and time again. So, I mean, guys, hold up. Plus, guys just want to win. You right. know, it isn't just about the money. I and mean, sometimes you just want to win. And that's a place you can go and you can win. Uh, two teams have reported to training camp. Here's something to get excited about, Bo. Uh, two weeks from today, is the Hall of Fame game between the Cowboys and the Steelers, the two most popular teams in the league, and uh, both teams have reported. Let's let's start with the uh, the Steelers here. Uh, Big Ben back for what's believed to be one more ride. Looks like he's lost a de- decent amount of weight. Um, he's had elbow surgery. What can we expect out of Big Ben in what's perceived to be his last year there with uh, the Steelers? I don't know what their expectations are going to be. Um, I can't think they'll be too high. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ben Roethlisberger's not the starter halfway through the season. I don't know what the expect. You, I guess you want an expectation. You want your Hall of Fame quarterback to go out there and be the and be the future Hall of Famer that he could be. But I mean, he hasn't shown it for a couple seasons now, and he's been injury plagued. He's big. I mean, he's big as a duplex. Um, but he's. I mean. He's lost some weight. Good for him. Maybe you can show me how. Uh, I mean, you say that. I look at the numbers here. Last year, Big Ben, 3,800 yards, 33 touchdowns, 10 picks. Uh, yeah, but did he well, – wait a minute. Did he play well, though? He played all right. Not great. I mean, first half of the season, people were talking about him in a big way. That he – just like that whole team, about week 12, that team fell off a cliff. And he was coming off injury. Remember, he was out for most of 2019. Yeah, I – Big Ben, the, the old father time has caught up to Big Ben. I, I think it's a lot to ask for Big Ben to have a great season. If they get it, then that's great. But I don't think that should be the expectation. I I wonder, the Steelers, this is a whole deal where the Steelers got him to take less money for one year so that all parties can be happy and it can be a farewell tour for Roethlisberger. I think for the Steelers, a good measure of their success is going to be the type of year Juju has. Because Chase Claypool passed him up last year, took over as their number one receiver. Juju didn't take on the role they wanted him to with Antonio Brown when he left. They wanted him to fill that void. He didn't really necessarily do so. It's a contract year for Juju. That's, to me, if if the Steelers are going to be any good, Juju is going to have to step up and have a big year himself. Well, they're going to – you're right about that, and I absolutely agree with you on that. But I – 
I don't see a lot of, I don't, I don't think a lot of this Steelers team. Yeah. I really don't. I, I, I could argue that they might finish last in the division. Yeah. And that's a good division. Yeah. I mean, the Bengals might be the only team that's worse than them, but the Bengals have Joe Burrow. They don't deserve Joe Burrow, but they've got him. And yeah, every other team in that division has a, a young franchise quarterback. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, the Steelers are up against it. Uh, well, it's going to be real. It's going to be a rough year to be a Steelers fan, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, the other I don't, team, there's, I don't think they make the playoffs. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. The I think team. they're just as likely. I think they're more likely to finish last in their division than make the playoffs. Okay. The other team playing in that Hall of Fame game, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, they're going to be a hard knocks. Dak coming back from injury. This is – I know the Dallas Cowboys always are an interesting show, whether it's to watch them collapse or be entertaining, whatever it may be. The, the Cowboys are always interesting to watch. But to me, Bo, this feels like one of the more fascinating seasons ahead for the Dallas Cowboys as far as the eyeballs and the attention that is going to be on this team. Yeah, you, you, you said a mouthful there. It's all true. Um, I love it. Um, I hate the Cowboys. I, I, but the Cowboys are good for hard knocks, and I've got to admit I'm a hard knocks junkie. I love hard I was knocks. excited when I found out the Cowboys. And when I heard it was the Cowboys, I was like, yes, because we're going to see something. Something's going to be so great. Someone's going to get an ass chewing. Jerry Jones is going to do something stupid. Uh, we're going to see some player do something stupid. This is going to be fantastic. It is going to be a Texas-sized just show. All because Mike McCarthy is their coach, too. Jerry Jones just said today, I saw he'll do anything to win a Super Bowl. You know what? He, the only reason he hasn't won another Super Bowl is because he fired Jimmy Johnson. That's why. You know how many he'd have had? Uh, and, I'm a, and here's what's weird about me. I hate the Cowboys, but I love me some Jerry because Jerry is fun. Jerry's fun. He'll say some shit that nobody else will in the NFL. Jerry is the, uh, he is the Al Davis of this generation. Yes. He does not care. And the funny part is where Al Davis didn't have as much power in his older age, Jerry's got all of it. Mm -hmm. Jerry can do and say what he wants if people listen to him. Everyone's copying his playbook now. And uh, so I respect that about him, but I just I do love to watch the Cowboys fall apart, and they're going to be interesting. A new contract for Dak Prescott. People are going to be all over him about it. Um, Ezekiel Elliott didn't have as great a season last year as he should have. You know, is he going to be is he going to be any better? The offensive line's not nearly as good as they were a couple of years ago. You know, what's wrong there? Their defense are they good? Are they bad? We don't really know. They should be outstanding, but who knows? Mm -hmm. You know, it just all, there's a whole bunch of stuff with Dallas, with the Cowboys that you see and you go, oh, this is going to be fun. I, I just wish that Hard Knocks was more than an hour. I wish that Hard Knocks, like I wish the HBO show would be like the best of, and you got all that stuff, but I wish 24 hours. Give me, give me a station 24 hours a day in the meeting rooms, in the, in the locker room. It, in, the, in there with the GM. I want to see it all. And this is the perfect team for it. The fact, too, that they're still going to Oxnard, they have the best practice facility in the world 
and everything that they could ever want at the star. And yet they still are like, nah, we're going to LA. Yeah, I think that has to do more with tradition of going away for for training camp and being somewhere for a few weeks. And hey, you never know that that, that facility may not have enough lockers in the locker room for a full pre you know preseason roster. So who knows? I mean, you don't really set your team up for that. So I think that there's something. I think it's okay. They're going to. I think it's weird they go to California anyway. <laughs> do they, they travel the furthest of any team? Yes. Um, you know, so I think that's kind of weird. I think weird. it's also part of the brand, too, of, of being America's team, you know, that yeah. part of keeping up with that tradition that, you know, that they probably have more fans in L.A. than the Chargers do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think every team has more more <laughs> fans in L.A. than the Chargers do. <laughs> right. Um, but I think that, that, yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I think Jerry Jones likes the whole SoCal thing. He wants to feel like he's bigger time than he is. I mean, well, he is big time. A multi Jerry Jones, right? He's Jerry Jones. Um, but I think that's a big part of it. It's about what you show, you know, when you put your fronts all the way out there. And I think that they've done that. I mean, hey, if you haven't read the books, I there was a great book about when Jerry Jones Jerry Jones took over the Cowboys and how bad that that was. Um, in Jimmy Johnson's book, he talks about how bad the organization was, how bad their roster was, and how Jerry Jones just gave him carte blanche and said, let's go. Let's win. I want to win. And he does. It is credit. He wants to win. He, but he, sometimes he gets in his own way. I, I'm, but I'm here for it. I'm here for hard knocks Dallas Cowboys all day long. Oh, can't wait. Uh, let's stay in uh, Los Angeles. The Rams going to be without Cam Akers, it appears, for the season. They had some high hopes yeah. on him. He showed some good signs uh, last season in his uh, rookie year there for the Rams. Uh, what do the Rams do uh, without Cam Akers? Uh, it sounds like Daryl Henderson's going to be called upon here. Yeah, you're going to see a committee. You're going to see guys here, guys. They're going to run in the, guys in and out and hope that someone you know, pops out of nowhere to be a big deal. I feel bad for the player, Cam Akers. I mean, he can get a chance to be the full-time guy, to be the starter, everyone's thinking you're going to be the guy. And then this happens to him. Running backs got such a short, a short shelf life as is. That's a tough deal. So, you know, my heart, my heart's out there for him. And, and for the Rams, they'll be okay. They're going to, I mean, running back, I, I always say that is the most replaceable position on the field in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You can fill it with one guy, two guys. You can pick up a guy week six, he'd be your starting running back by week 14. And you can still be a good team. I mean, just it is what it is at this point. Having the best running back no longer is important in the NFL. It's nice, but name the last one again, got paid. Right. Yeah. I mean, and Zeke McCaff- got paid. And- McCaffrey, McCaffrey did, and Zeke did, but they don't Zeke get paid. Did, like and the Cowboys regret it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, yeah, they do. And the, the Panthers are going to regret McCaffrey's contract because you pay quarterbacks, not running backs. Right. Um, and, yeah. I look at, you know, if, if you ever want to point to something of it being perfectly okay, look at the Chiefs when, uh, when they lost Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt was, you know, an all-pro running back, leading the league in rushing, and was a big part of that Chiefs offense, even though they had, the, you know, arguably the best quarterback in football with Patrick Mahomes. They lose him, and now that was a personal conduct issue, but nonetheless, they lose him, 
and go to Damian Williams, who was not a top 20 or 25 running back in the league, and they still won a Super Bowl with Damian Williams. I mean, they, they made it work. To me, that was the case in point. If you ever want to look at, can you go from having an all-pro running back to you know a, a guy that can get just get the job done, the Chiefs were the prime example of that. I, I think that's what Sean McVay and company are going to look at. I'm, I'm not saying Cam Akers is – Kareem Hunt, but uh, you can work around this. It, it can be okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, name the last Super Bowl team that was dominated by running back. Uh, Who was running back for the Bucks last year? Uh, Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was, it was the Chiefs the year before. It was a committee. Yeah. You know, New England's won how many of these? How many great running backs they've had? Uh, not many. No. I mean, you go back to – I'm looking at the little list here. You go to the Eagles, Denver – Seattle. You go back to Seattle, what was that, eight years ago, nine years ago, to Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. So I, that's why I've always said the last, at least in the way the game is currently played at the NFL level, I always think about, always think about the NFL, running back is the absolute most replaceable player on the field. Yeah. So to me, I, I, my heart goes out to Cam Akers. I'm not trying to minimize him, but as far as the team, yeah, they're going to recover from that pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. A uh, couple more uh, things uh, before we uh, wrap up the uh, discussion this week, Bo. Uh, I want to move uh, to the, the college game. And uh, a big rumor out this week, first reported by the Houston Chronicle, that Oklahoma and Texas have inquired about joining the SEC when uh, the grant of rights are up in about two or three years. And uh, also hearing some reports that there could be movement within weeks. Um, but we've already seen statements from Oklahoma State saying that they do not want to see OU and Texas leave, that they're committed to the Big 12. We've seen Texas A&M come out and say that they don't want Texas in the SEC, that they want to be the only Texas school in the SEC. This seems to be more than just a rumor here if we're already hearing some of these statements from you know schools essentially establishing their territory here are you a fan of the avengers movies yeah what is it that um uh thanos says before he snapped his fingers and killed half the people Oh, I can't remember off the top of my head. I am inevitable. (laughs) This was going to happen. It's going to happen. Whether it's now, whether it's in five years, this is the first, this is the first log. We talked about this at length. To me, this is a fascinating subject about college sports because name, image, likeness, we said that was the first domino. This is the second. The playoff is changing. Then we're going to have conference realignment. It's going to go to four, I'm telling you, four super leagues, and the SEC gets to be first. And if the SEC grabs Texas and Oklahoma, and they add that to a conference that already has Alabama, Florida, Georgia, and LSU, you think about that. Just in as far as in the schools alone, and the, and the, the, the whole package of what their universities and their sports programs are. This is a killer to everybody else. It kills the Big 12. It's going to kill the Big East as well. Because the American, the SEC, you mean, yeah. Yeah, what do they call it? Yeah, 
They're going to have, because the ACC will be next. They will grab some teams. I mean, you'll have teams from the Big Ten will grab some teams. Locally, here in Kansas, what you got to worry about is KUK State. A number of years ago, when this shuffling was kind of talked about, this would have been, what, eight, ten years ago? Mm-hmm. One of the big things was Oklahoma and Oklahoma State wanted to stay together. A&M left Texas behind and went to the SEC, and they did. They want to be the only Texas team. That's just not going to happen. And then KU and K-State wanted to stay together. If you're KU, you go get the best package you can get, and if you're K-State, you're looking for a life raft. KU should not have to hold on to K-State. I'm saying this is I don't think OU should have to hang on to Oklahoma State. I don't think Oklahoma should wait on Oklahoma State. I think they should go ahead and go. It helps you. It protects that rivalry. And think about the games we will have every year or every other year. Oklahoma, Alabama, Texas, Alabama, Oklahoma, or LSU, Texas. Uh, believe me, as an LSU fan, oh, I want some of Texas every year. Give me that game. I mean, we just, that's just awesome. We'll take it. Well, and, uh, and a, chance to bring about- o- a chance to bring Oklahoma to the, the SEC West, I mean, they're going to have to move Alabama out of the SEC West to make right. room for Texas and Oklahoma. Well, and think about this. You know, I mean, you want to talk about for these fan bases selling tickets, and TV ratings and such. I think in, in what makes sense for Oklahoma and Texas as far as the SEC goes is that you still have some natural rivals. Texas and Arkansas go way back. We know about A&M. OU and Mizzou played for a long time. Um, You know, I mean, like, this is not a deal like when Nebraska joined the Big Ten and everyone said, okay, uh, you know, you have no history with anybody here and we're going to try to manufacture a rivalry with Iowa. No, there's, there's actually history there with OU and Texas and some of these SEC schools. Yeah, I mean, there's there's the natural thing of Texas and Arkansas, like you said. You know, you're going to keep Texas and Oklahoma in the same conference or in the same division, and then you're just going to have this natural thing happen with LSU and Texas. That's going to be awesome. You have A&M already. Oh, you and Arkansas had. Are you in Arkansas is an old Southwest Conference thing. You think Oklahoma's not looking forward to playing LSU? I mean, that's going to be great. That's when they do, they'll have to redivide the division. So what they'll do is the two Alabama teams move them to the east. So Auburn and Alabama will get moved over. I would and, and Missouri will go uh, out to the uh, to the west. Yeah. So you do that. You bring in well. You bring in two. Yeah. So you have seven and seven then. So yeah, and and that works because then you keep Missouri, Arkansas. You can keep. I mean, you'll have Missouri playing their old Big Twelve opponents. In Texas and Oklahoma, I mean, in Texas A&M, yeah, I, I think it's a good thing, and I think that what it's going to make is it's going to make some really good Saturday afternoon football mm-hmm. and some great Saturday night games, and then we're going to see um, throughout the season we're going to see that this is the first of, of many. There'll be again, I kind of predict four of these sixteen team conferences, and I think this is the first one. And it's going to be, this is what it's going to. It's going to go to more money. It's going to go, this is going to be great. This is going to be, this is going to be minor league football. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I would also look at, you know, if you're an Oklahoma fan right now, you know, you're probably saying to yourself, look, 
In the Big 12, you have an easy path to the playoff. And in this new system, you have an easier path to the playoff. You can make the playoff every year in the Big 12 as it stands right now. But you go to this SEC, you're not likely to be paired with Alabama in the same division. If you're trying to spin this for Oklahoma, Bo, I would say, realistically, Oklahoma can expect to win their division in the SEC three out of five years. And if you, let's say you average just one or two losses a year, and you're in the best conference year in, year out, top to bottom, where it's not even close, there could still be an expectation for Oklahoma in the 12-team playoff to still make the playoff every single year. That It might be a little bit tougher, but I don't think the expectation changes in switching leagues. Yeah, what's going to happen is the division winners in the SEC are going to automatically get into the playoff. Right. right. And, then you, and then if you're Oklahoma – and Let's just say for, for giggles, if you're – let's say you're Oklahoma, you've run the table, except you lost one game during the season. That game happened to be – so, well, it's my team, the LSU Tigers. Go Tigers. And LSU goes undefeated. So, Oklahoma doesn't even make the championship game of the conference. And that's okay because with one loss in that tough-ass conference, you're getting in the playoff. Right. So, I – the idea of, well, we're going to win the – it's so much easier to win our conference now. Well, how much has that really helped you in the last and few years? If you've played an easier schedule, how much is your team prepared for the big stage? Yeah, that's what I mean, is that how many times has Oklahoma won the Big 12 in the last few years and really been in contention for the national title? I mean, I, Maybe was, one. I, was, at the, I was at the game two years ago when they happened to be the Big 12 champion – and ran up against the SEC champion, and it wasn't even close. It was over in the first quarter. They didn't belong on that field. No, I mean LSU killed them, and and that was an extreme example. I mean that tie, that that team was great, but that doesn't matter. That if you're if the excuse is we're not going to go because we have a better chance of winning our conference here, that's a bullshit excuse. It's a bullshit excuse because it's allowing you to be to be just be okay. We're good enough. Well, we're good enough to get in the playoff. Well, go over there. You're still good enough if you're good enough. Well, let, here's an example. Here's what I look at. Okay, of the Oklahoma teams that have made the playoff, the best team that had a chance to win the title was Baker's senior year when they lost to Georgia. Okay? Yes, I would uh, agree with that. Let's say for all intents and purposes that they had played an SEC schedule. They, uh, instead of – Going through that year, the Big 12 defenses were just a joke. They were awful. If they would have played an SEC schedule and would have gone through, looked at and said, okay, this is where we need to improve and, and been through that slate, Oklahoma would have probably been better off and been more likely to win the national title if they had been yeah. through that. I mean, yeah. that's where Oklahoma strength in numbers. You get better by playing tougher competition. Yeah, Oklahoma's only contest most years is their Texas game. And then they get, you know, a good game from Oklahoma State once every three years. And they lose to K-State. And they lose to K-State. Yeah, and K-State somehow gets their number every year. <laughs> That's like one of the like biggest question marks in the history of sports to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just you got but I think again, part of being ready every week when you're facing home run hitters every week, you're not gonna slip up to K-State. Yeah, you know you're gonna be like, oh shit, this is, hey, this is Auburn. 
hey, I'm Memphis, Tennessee. You know, this is Georgia kind of play. You know, that's not that's not going to play KU. That's mm-hmm. not going to play Iowa State. No, no, no disrespect to Iowa State the last two years. They've been great. You know, but traditionally that has not been a powerhouse franchise. Uh, yeah, so I think for Oklahoma and Texas, I think it's a good thing. I I think it's the next domino in a lot of change in college sports. Well, and I know you've talked, you have talked off the air a lot about this in the past. Too. Here's how I would wrap up on this ball. Okay. If we mentioned that Oklahoma and Texas have to do what's best for themselves, right? Not what their, you know, state schools are. In this case, in Oklahoma and Texas, here's what I look at. If you jump to the SEC, not only are you going to the best conference in America, but you're also going to, you know, be in the highest profile you can possibly be, most exposure possible. You're going to get better recruits. You're going to maximize of what you can on recruiting being with those teams. And then this whole name, image, and likeness deal that we keep talking about, um, if you want your players to be able to earn that money, I mean, you want them to be stars, putting them on the biggest stage every single week is going to be in the SEC. You have – this is all about maximizing not just on revenue, but on recruiting, name, image, and likeness, all of the above. This is what that's about. Yeah, the name, image, likeness stuff, you're spot on. Now these kids from Texas, they're going to go to Texas. They're going to Oklahoma. They're playing Saturday night, ESPN. They're not playing at noon on Fox. They're not playing at noon on, you know, Fox FS1, you know, where only their parents and their loved ones are watching. You know, it's just a different animal. And it much higher ratings. You're going to see a lot of that. You know, now that's going to the ESPN, the SEC is going to ESPN next season or the season after. Yeah. Um, for the biggest game. So they won't have that 230 slot anymore. So you'll see the biggest game every week on at seven o'clock our time, and it'll be great. Right. And you'll see you'll see these happen. You'll see these will be huge games, and these players are going to get it. Nick Saban had a great line um, at SEC days this week. Uh, he said the media days about the uh, the name image likeness. He says this is not going to be equitable. Yeah, and he knows it's not going to be equitable. His quarterbacks made a million dollars already. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be equitable. And if you're Oklahoma and you're Texas and you're one of those, you know, again, you're a franchise. If you're the, this is what we have to do to our for sports for us. You want the best players. This is what it's going to entail. It's yeah. going to entail getting them the exposure they want. It's going to happen in all sports. This is just another domino in all this. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right about that, Bo. Uh, I agree with you. It's uh, we'll see how it all plays out, but certainly be interesting to follow here the uh, next couple of weeks and, the SEC's got so much pull, too. I know that the SEC already agreed to those TV contracts, but this is the league that can knock on the door in ESPN and say, we got OU in Texas now. You got to pay us more. Um, this is the league that, you know, has the SEC network that, yes, Texas has a Longhorn network, but they can find a way to make that work and had the partnership with ESPN. I think that ESPN, and I'm not speaking out of turn when I say this, this is a, a network that wants to work with the SEC. That's where I think things yeah. are different, too, compared to OU and Texas is standing in the Big 12, is that the SEC has more pull than anybody. Yeah. The, the biggest the SEC happy. The SEC has the most power in, in college sports because of football and because that's where the money is. But then I think the biggest problem that's going to happen after that is going to be this thing to see what happens with the Fox – with Fox's network and their coverage, 
are they going to just settle on the Big 12, I mean, the, the, the Pac-12 and the Big 10? Yeah. And say, hey, Big 12, you're not worth it to us anymore without, without Texas and Oklahoma. Or on the flip side, are they going to say, we can't afford to lose OU and Texas in that Big 12 package because we know we're not going to get OU and Texas on our airways if they leave us. We need you well, to stay. Here's some money. Here's why I don't think that's the situation because I don't think – I think if that were all the situation, you would already see the Big 12 having getting more of the primetime games, more of the, of the, the network coverage. You know, they seem to have this line where if you notice – Fox has got the, 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 the Pac-12 on lockdown. I mean, they're, they're, oh, they're constantly talking about those teams. Um, and then the, they, they cover the Big Ten real well. I think they're settling on this. I think this is reading the tea leaves. I think Oklahoma and Texas have played this pretty well. They've read the tea leaves and said, hey, the Big 12 is the third property battling for the second, the, the second, um, the second network. And you're the one that's going to get left out in that battle. Maybe so. Uh, I mean, I just don't see what, the value of the, if you think about the market values. I mean, yeah, you have Texas, but I Oklahoma mean, doesn't have a lot of same conference we're talking about here that has been getting stuck with 9 a.m. kickoffs and 10 p.m. kickoffs. I mean, the and big, that's the main, and that's the placate. But then you look at where the where are the where are the people? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people in California on the West there Coast. There is a um, lot to figure out. So we'll certainly yeah. be following it all. Bo, we appreciate the time as always, and uh, we'll talk yeah. again next week. Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, thank you, Tyler. Have a great week. Big thanks to Coach Bo for joining us on the Football Fix here on the Jones Report. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges back here with you now. Got a couple more things before we wrap up today's show. We'll get to our Tom Fullery story of the week in just a moment. But before we do, let's talk about the Olympics Getting started in uh, just about a day or so, the opening ceremonies there in Tokyo. And let's first start with the logistics just around these Olympic Games. There's no fans in attendance. And we were told for quite some time, Tom, that Japan was the model country when it came to COVID-19, that when it was mask wearing and and all this stuff that, you know, as a country, we should try to be like Japan, that they had COVID-19 figured out. Well, fast forward, here we are, July of 2021, and we have full stadiums in the U.S. Japan can't have fans in attendance. Their vaccination rates aren't great in that country. I mean, it's like, what happened? Uh, Japan, you were supposed to be the model. You have the biggest sporting event in the world going on, and they can't get their crap together. And – they're still saying, even though the Olympics have technically already started, that these things still might get canceled, that there's a possibility they still could just shut down the whole thing and say, ah, we're done. No more Olympics here um, because of some rising COVID cases among players. And we're hearing more about this Delta variant and such and, and how it's rising. And, you know, we've taken COVID very seriously on this show. We've talked a lot about it since January of 2020. And, you know, what we have said for a long time is, you know, that it is up to you to take care of things yourself. We've encouraged people, and you'll get the vaccine. Thomas and I are both vaccinated. That's no secret and such. And uh, now it, it feels like we should be at a point when, you know, we live our lives, right? Where, you know, if you're not vaccinated, that's a choice you've made. That's a risk that you're willing to take. 
Um, and it's not our job to protect you. It's not our job to wear a mask so you can feel safe about yourself because you won't protect yourself and those things. And, you know, we're hearing these athletes getting COVID or getting this Delta variant and such and, and how that's rising. I mean, that's on these athletes. That's on them. If they get COVID and they weren't vaccinated or they haven't had COVID previously and that cost them a chance at a gold medal, that's their own fault. They're letting themselves down, letting their country down, their teammates down, whatever. Tom, um, I'm disappointed with how these Olympics are being configured. There should be fans there. Um, I know that Japan, the people of Japan aren't too happy. The public support's kind of gone down for these Olympics. But uh, to me, it, it's just, it, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel the same. And the frustrating part is we know it can be better. We've seen it here in America. This can be done. This can be pulled off the right way. But Japan is just simply screwing this up. Yeah, Jones, not going so hot right now for them. And, and it's just, it doesn't have the same allure of, of what the Olympics should. Uh, you know, you mentioned no fans. I mean, it's just, it's not the same, right? This is, this is not something that happens once a year. I mean, this is, this is a big deal. And, and it's, I don't think it's being done like it should. I mean, there are ways to have fans. There's ways to make this happen. Hell, we've seen it with the bubble. Uh, in the NBA, how we've seen it with just all sports in America this past year. I mean, they made it happen. Yes, was it full capacity? No, it was not. Was it absolutely crazy and wild and rambunctious like sporting events meant to be? No, but they still made it happen. So, you know, I don't blame the people of Japan being kind of, you know, lost its appeal. I mean, it's just like, eh. You know, who cares anymore? That's what it feels like. And it, it should be more celebrated. It should be more of a, a thing. And it's not being right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, Japan's going to lose a ton of money because they're not having these people travel in and stay at their hotels and eat at their restaurants, go to their bars and do all the tourist stuff. Um, you know, they're, they're hosting all these athletes and they're not really gaining anything um, from it. Um, you know, and when, when I look at just how much Japan has screwed this up, um, you know, we, we've seen that this can be done, that you can have fans, uh, that things can return to normal, you know, that they have for the most part. Um, you know, looking at the, these games in, uh, in Japan, these Olympics without fans and such here, we dealt with not having fans, Tom, for a period of time because we had to not because we wanted to. And then as time went on, when we had more control of the virus, when we saw what we needed to do, then things started to return back to normal and we've had full capacity stadiums and we've seen that the virus, uh, it's hard to be spread in these outdoor venues. Um, to me, it's just ridiculous that not only we're not having fans, but not even at the outdoor venues here. I mean, uh, that, that just blows my mind that in 2021 we know what it takes we figured this out but yet they still can't get that together i mean that, that's that's absurd they know this is going to happen for a while and they you know can't take you know I, I don't know if they try to take precautionary methods to make this work or not but what it feels like is they just didn't even try to make it work i think that's fair i think you're absolutely right about that and then as far as interest level goes, Tom, you know, the, the, the games themselves, you don't have Michael Phelps. 
Uh, he's retired, and I think that was a, a, a huge draw for the last, you know, few Olympics. You know, you know, especially like 2012 there in London was a huge deal. What uh, what Michael Phelps did there, and, and and 2008 in Beijing. This Team USA basketball team sucks. I mean, when Kelton Johnson is your number one option, you got some major problems. Um, I don't expect him to take gold. Um, and, you know, a lot of it has to do with timing of, you know, that training camp for Team USA started before the Olympics uh, began, before the NBA season was over with. I mean, timing was just bad. Uh, you know, didn't work out that way. Uh, you know, the Team USA soccer team, uh, you know, the women's soccer team, loses 3-0 to Sweden the other day in their first game. I mean, like, my, my interest level, you know, we, we have this all this mindset, and we've earned this mindset based on our track record as a country, is how much the U.S. should dominate and U.S. dominance of sorts here. I'm looking around the table. USA soccer already off to a slow start. Team USA men's basketball team's not very good. You don't have that Michael Phelps star to this Olympics, even internationally. You don't have the Usain Bolt, whatever it is. Um, I mean, not to be just trashing these Olympics too much, which is what it sounds like we're doing here, but th this this just ain't it, Tom. No, it ain't it. It ain't it at all. I mean, it's just, yeah, the U.S., the women's soccer team, that shocked me. I couldn't believe that. Um, the men's basketball team, Listen, I'll be rooting on them more than I have any other year because you, you mentioned it. You said it. Kelton Johnson is coming out party. Uh, maybe they'll talk about the Spurs next season if, if Kelton Johnson can somehow lead that team to a gold medal. I don't know if he can do that. Probably not. But who knows? Uh, that's the only reason that I'm watching, to be honest. Uh, I mean, disappointing so far, though. I mean, we – we are so used to just whooping everybody's ass and we're not whooping any ass right now. And so it's like, hey, you know, what's going on? Maybe that's me being a bad fan that I'm not going to watch even if we lose. Uh, but you know what? I've been so accustomed to winning. It's just like, well, okay. How many, you know, how many fans of, of football, if their team sucked, would actually watch? I can tell you the year the Rams went to the Super Bowl, I watched every single game. In two, 2011, when the Rams were absolutely trashed, I maybe watched three games. And one of those I actually got to go to. But other than that, I didn't really care. You know, uh, this year I watched the least amount of Spurs games. Why? They weren't as good. 2014, I probably watched 70 of the 82 games. It's, uh, you know, it's more fun when you win. Yeah. And the U.S. is still going to win a lot, but uh, this won't be the same. Uh, you know, now I'll say this. I'm going to be rooting on Michael Andrew uh, on the U.S. swim side. Uh, he's from Lawrence. Uh, he went to my church, uh, knew him, you know, as he was growing up. So from a personal standpoint, I'm excited for Michael Andrew, and he's probably our best swimmer. I know that we don't have a Michael Phelps, but I'll be rooting on Michael Andrew. That's going to be a cool thing. Um, as far as the, the sports go, you know, the, the, uh, of just these uh, sports we typically don't get to see. Tom, I'm always interested in the archery. That kind of fascinates me when they find just this open land in the mountains somewhere and decide to, to get out the bow and arrow. That, all, that to me, is comical. Uh, worst Olympic sport, speed walking. 
you raise that leg, you're disqualified. Speed walking, whoa, whoa, terrible. Whoa, what, that's, a, that's a sport? Yes. How do you qualify for that? Where do you even go to qualify for that? <laughs> you got to be able to walk real fast. Um, <laughs> but that, to me, is the worst one. What's your favorite, like, non-traditional sport, and, and what's the worst Olympic sport, you think? You know, I like, like, and I don't know if they're going to do it in this Olympics. I, I, it's been a while since I've seen it, but my favorite probably to watch is, I, believe it or not, rowing. Okay, and they are like doing rowing. Team, team rowing. That's that, that, I don't know something about it. I feel like we could be uh, rowers if we trained for it, Tom. Maybe so. That's, you know, when I ever even actually make it to the gym. Uh, you know, I was better, obviously, during the 75 hard, but now I've been 75 not. Uh, you know, but when I was actually doing that, sure, the rowing machine at the gym might be my favorite. Um, you know, I, it's an all-around workout. And, you know, I'd much rather be on a river rowing a canoe than in a gym using a machine. But, hey, uh, you know, I, I do enjoy seeing that because, I mean, they move. Yeah. It's, it's very, very much synchronized. Yeah. Um, now, what's what's the worst Olympic sport that comes to mind besides maybe speed walking? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's some some other events like speed walking, but I, I can't, to be honest, I can't think of one off the top of my head that I'm like, this is stupid. You know, we didn't even qualify the U.S. for uh, for three-on-three men's basketball. How does that happen? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if we're what not going to do point? something with gold. Why, why is three-on-three basketball even in it? Like, why didn't we recruit some guys from the big three or something? Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> the, the the leading player, Tom, I don't even know if you even remember this guy. Uh, the, the Team USA put out Robbie Hummel to try to qualify. He was their number one guy. No, I don't even know who that is. Played at Purdue and hasn't played in, in professional basketball in like five years. It's like we didn't even try. Um, but you would think they would take the select team, or you know, maybe some people that missed the the mark to qualify for the U.S. men's team at least and put them in it. Like maybe that's where Javel McGee and Keldon Johnson should be playing. Is the thing? Hey, no, look, listen, Keldon Johnson. This is coming out party. He's going to show you he deserves to be there. He's big body. He's the Mustang. Uh, I mean, he, he might be the second best player on the Spurs behind DeRozan. JaVel McGee has no business being there, though. No, he really doesn't. Same with and Kevin I, Love. I mean, yeah, I mean, Kevin Love obviously didn't make it, but how in the world that he was even a part of I, I don't know. He's been such an afterthought. Like, where was Julius Randle or Trey Young? You know, I mean, those guys. John ja Moran. Yeah. Those I mean, guys wanted like, to be a part on. of it, too. Yeah. Goodness. But then, uh, yeah, give, yeah, give me John ja Moran and Julius Randle and, and Trey Young on a three three versus three. Right. I'll, I'll take those three versus the rest of whoever else the rest of the world can put together. Hell, like grab some of these big three guys. Let's put Corey Maggette and AI. <laughs> right? And uh, Richard yeah, I would Lewis. watch that. <laughs> I would watch that. Are they going to have the four-point shot, too? 
Right? Yeah, just make it ridiculous in the Olympics. <laughs> I wish. Get our friend Nancy Lieberman coaching. Yeah, it'd be great. I love it. I would, wa- I would watch that. Before we get out of here today, Tom, time for our Tom Fuller story of the week, and we're going to stay with the Olympics. We are going to stay with the Olympics, but I have some bad news to report. I saw that Insta post that I sent you about this, um, and – I started looking into it. Well, turns out it's false. So people listening, I sent Jones a funny Instagram post about anti-sex beds at the Olympics. Turns out it is false, but worse, I'm fake still going to tell you about it because I got another backup. It is fake news. I got another backup story for you. Story at a glance. We'll run through this real quick. Turns out there are not anti-sex beds. Um, Rise McClinahan jumped on the cardboard beds to disprove their anti-sex. The rumored anti-sex bed stories came from Olympian Paul Kilimo, an American distance runner. The beds can support up to 441 pounds. Olympic Village beds are made out of cardboard, and while it is sustainable for a person to sleep on, there has been speculation that the sex during their stay. One Irish gymnast, Rise McClinahan, decided to take to Twitter to test the durability of this anti-sex bed. <clears throat> you can go to his Twitter, it's McClinahan Rise, R-H-Y-S, you can figure out how to spell McClinahan. Um, anti-sex beds at the Olympics. He, he's just a video of him jumping up and down on this bed, and it looks fine. So they are not anti-sex beds. The Olympics responded, we are promoting the use of recycled materials for procured items and construction materials at the Tokyo 2020 Games. The game's official sta- sustainability, sorry, sustainability pre-games report said. Um, so enough about that you can definitely still bang on them um that's and good this is, right there's no this is no new thing the olympians have been banging left and right for i don't know millenniums i don't know anyway another story also about sex also about the olympics we're athletes we're, at the sex positive show around here right this is a uh congrats on the in- sex Right. This comes from NPR. This is legit. This is not fake news. And this is maybe even more tomfoolery, even if the beds were anti-sex. Athletes at the Tokyo Olympics are being given condoms and warnings not to use them. Not to use them. Not to use them. Organizers of this year's Olympics in Tokyo are putting a new meaning behind look, but don't touch. The games are ordinarily a place where many young athletes mix, mingle, and naturally get very close. As they have since the 1980s, organizers ordered thousands of condoms so athletes can safely hook up. To be specific, Japanese organizers ordered 160,000 condoms to be handed out to athletes in the Olympic Village. But because of the COVID-19 pandemic, Tokyo organizers also want participants to refrain from any kind of intimate physical activity outside their sport. That means those condoms we gave you don't use them, at least while not at least not while you're inside the Olympic bubble. Organizers say athletes should take the condoms home as souvenirs and use them <laughs> to raise awareness about H- <laughs> yeah as souvenirs about HIV and AIDS. But under no certain terms are participants to use them or engage in any one-on-one philandering. I love that term, philandering. Philandering. While they. <laughs> right, while they are in Japan for the games, organizer said. 
The topic may elicit a giggle, but penalties the athletes face if they violate these rules are serious as if as are the reasons for implementing them. Athletes are under strict coronavirus protocols as Tokyo and other regions of Japan are under a state of emergency because of COVID-19. They must follow social distancing guidelines and abide by bans on handshakes, high fives, and other types of physical close contact, according to the rule book. Any participant who violates the rules could face fines, disqualification, and the loss of Olympic medals if the person is found out to be a repeat offender. If athletes choose to flaunt the rules on intimacy, they'll also have to contend with the small cardboard bed frames that are provided to Olympians. Jones, if I had a dollar for all for every time sex happened in the Olympic Village, I would have enough money to go over there and watch the games. Right. Um, and then you got to think about, Tom, if you're an athlete that you have, you know, you have no chance at winning uh, even a medal of some sorts. Why would you follow these protocols? Why wouldn't you just say, you know what? Uh, let's get it on. You know, what's happening. I mean, it has to for one. Don't give out the condoms if you don't want it to happen. Sure. Safe sex or whatever. But. I mean, you know, if I'm an Olympian and some girl over there is an Olympian, I'm trying to make a kid so we can have an Olympian, right? It's right. D1 babies. You got to you gotta do what you got to do. I mean, maybe not, you know, there, but I mean, hell. I mean, why not, you know? Um, what do they expect is going to happen when you throw them all together in the same village anyway? Right. I mean, it's it's bound to happen. Like, that's why they gave out all the condoms. Take home as souvenirs. That's I mean, that's a that's a that is a line. Uh, I mean, what do you even do with on. a souvenir condom? Right, and even if the beds were anti-sex, I mean, listen, there's you probably got friends that were conceived standing up. You know, it's <laughs> I mean, listen, you don't only have to have a bed to get it on. Trust me, <laughs> I mean it's. It's uh, people have been conceived in many places that were not on a bed. Um, so where there's a will, there's a way. Um, even with people, you know, standing by and, and, you know, rules in place where there is a will, there is a way. You will not you will not stop biology. It will not. There's, there's no way to have no way to stop it. Maybe that's why they just gave out the condoms anyway. You know, you put them all in a bubble. Hell, if they're all tested for COVID-19 and they all come back negative, whatever. They're athletes. They probably most likely got the best shot against the virus anyway because of how physically fit and healthy they are. Well, Uh, what about this factor, Tom? Don't some athletes claim that they perform better when they have the testosterone, when they have, you know, the hormones, you know, all that stuff going on? I mean, like... Some, I would think some of these athletes are going to say that they need to have sex in order to perform at their highest level. I mean, this is for most of these athletes, the Olympics are the biggest stage for them. I mean, what, yeah, what's next? Are they going to give you a souvenir bottle of lotion by the bedside? Is that the next <laughs> thing you can take home with you? <laughs> is a bottle of Johnson and Johnson's baby lotion? <laughs> oh, I mean, golly. I mean, whoever wrote that rule book had to laugh. There's no way you don't crack a smile saying, take these home as souvenirs to raise awareness about HIV and AIDS. What are you going to 
take home 200 of them and go to the <laughs> local school with your gold medal and be like, hey, fifth graders, you guys want some condoms from the Olympics? <laughs> yeah, we got we got condoms in gold, silver, and bronze. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Oh my God! That's it's one of the stupider Tom Fuller stories I think I've ever read, to be honest. But it's it's like, come on, you got athletes raging from I don't know eighteen to probably I don't know how the oldest Olympian is. Probably, I actually I don't know if there's a speed walking event. Maybe the oldest athlete freaking sixty. I don't know. Uh, I've seen some pretty fast walkers at uh, Woodland Hills Mall. I would think this actually encourages more sex like a reverse psychology type thing like oh uh i'm feeling a little dangerous today let's get on with it yeah i mean yeah i mean i, I wonder i gotta find a picture of them I, they gotta they gotta have a picture of them i wonder what they say they say take them home as souvenirs um i gotta see let's find out olympic condoms that's gonna be a funny search for whoever monitors my thing this is funny john <laughs> this i don't know you should just post this with the story i'm imagining it looks something like this no one obviously were a radio you know voice-based podcast so no one else is going to see this but just imagine 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 condoms linked together in blue gold black green and red hooked ah, together like the olympic, the olympic logo <laughs> <laughs> right. The Olympic ring. Assuming, right. What is this? They got. Yeah. Uh, there's there's one for the Rio Olympics that had a coin slot that you buy. It said celebrate with a condom. That's great. That is just great. <laughs> How are you celebrating? Well, I'm celebrating with a condom. I don't even know what to say now. That is a. There's. There, you, there's a joke. They, they, there's this is gold. If you're listening to this, just type in Olympic condoms and go to images. As long as you're not at work, of course, you're not on your work computer. Don't do that. Um, there's go an image that, with condoms in a bowl. Incognito mode on a on Google search. It, that's what you. That's how I live my life. Um, <laughs> you live in incognito <laughs> mode. Okay. It, at all times. Um, but if you Google that, there's one. It's condoms in a bowl with a piece of paper above the top. With that picture of the condom rings that I showed you, says, my Olympic condoms have arrived. I think I'll wear gold tonight. My partner replies, well, why not wear silver and come second for a change? That's great. Did not expect to be talking about condoms today. On that note, let's go. Let's get out of here before we say anything we regret. Uh, big thanks to Steve Weiss for joining us here at the Jones Report. Uh, also, Coach Bo for stopping by as well. Follow the show on social media at Tyler Jones live at Thomas underscore bridges at TJ media group on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones live, Tyler Jones media group, Instagram, Tyler Jones live, Insta Thomas Jones underscore report. You can find us there. And uh, wow, what a way to wrap up 10 years of uh, this show and uh, get started with year 11 here on the Jones report. We're off and running. It's uh, been a lot of fun. Tom, uh, wow, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun today. I'm glad, uh, glad to have you back, glad to be back, and uh, we'll do it all again next week. 
We will, and maybe uh, maybe we'll have an update on the uh, – maybe there'll be a condom shortage at this point in the Olympics. <laughs> maybe uh, by next week. We'll see. We'll update you on that. For Thomas Bridges, Coach Bo, Steve Wise, Chuck Tyler Jones, thanks so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week.